Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Front of the Echo today talks about 50 plus patients waiting for beds at hospitals and we're in December and of course after Christmas so God only knows what kind of a state the hospitals will be in but it's a front page of this morning they call it a, a nightmare. The other story on Lee side this morning is an Owen English story on the inside pages of the examiner today where they say the event centre work will start but hold on it's the design work that's beginning so we're still no closer as Owen English points out in the paper this morning as to when the actual construction work will actually begin at the city's South Main Street venue, but it's a 6,000-seater capacity venue. It would appear, uh, mortifyingly for those who turned the sod back uh, six years ago, but it would appear that it still seems to be on track, stalled and all as it has been uh, for the last six years. My God Almighty, it's been so, so long. But at least now we know that they're finalising the funding agreement. We know that they're completing the details of the design Uh, And we don't know and have no idea as to whether the actual commencement of the construction will start. But no doubt that will be the news that will be given next. But it's an inside one and an update from Owen English. He's been across that uh, from the start. And that's neither today nor yesterday. But the race is on to drive the booster rollout. And all of the papers are talking about Omicron. They all quote the different numbers. Total number of cases, 18. But they're saying, yeah, but it might be only 18 now. But this is happening in the UK. Uh, It's doubling every day. So... um, that's uh, a bid to accelerate the booster uh, rollout. So one of the things they're doing is they're dropping the gap between the second uh, COVID vaccine and the third dose. That's been cut back now to, to three months and it's being rolled out faster to younger age groups. Uh, they're all of the red tops this morning uh, talk of the, they call him a psycho. Uh, Stephen Penrose, um, who was photographed in all of the papers this morning, got a life sentence yesterday after luring Philip Finnegan to the woods in County Kildare and stabbing him 13 times um, and decapitating him and uh, burying him in a shallow grave. God almighty, that used to be the stuff that was only on television crime shows, but now it's real world all of the time. And Vicky Phelan and uh, Charlie Bird met yesterday and they've agreed. <laughs> Vicky says she's been roped into it, into climbing Croke Patrick. You can be damn sure of one thing, she'll get to the top and she'll get back down again. But they met for tea and scones in Limerick yesterday and they hugged and they laughed and they cried and the conversation flowed and we made plans to meet again. And it's a lovely, lovely story that makes the papers today. Both of them carrying their own uh, health issues, of course. He with motor neuron disease and Vicky, of course, with uh, with cancer because of the uh, cervical smear uh, scandal, which um, is uh, really and truly uh, an awful impact on so many women. But Vicky, of course, trying to hang in there for Christmas for her children. And again, with her resolve and her willpower, she will do that. And we all wish both of them well. Um, the papers also today carry stories on uh, Ian Bailey. You might have heard it on the radio news yesterday. And that's picked up uh, by the papers this morning where they say he's been... Uh, He is frightened for his safety after receiving death threats uh, as the 25th anniversary of Sophie Toscan de Plantier's murder approaches. And that makes this morning's mail. Uh, A little later on this morning, I will be returning to that topic. I'll be talking with the author, Nick Foster. He wrote the book Murder at Roaring Water. And we'll be chatting about the latest developments with regards to the case into the investigation into the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. Um, all of the papers today talk of Christmas-related stories uh, and those that are living still at home and will be celebrating and having Christmas with their parents. And amongst them, of course, there's 70% 
of Irish 20-year-olds who are still living with their parents and they love it that way. Apparently, The Independent quotes research this morning that spoke to 5,000 young people from the age of nine to just turning 20 and it's interesting to get their thoughts on life but the 20-year-olds are still very happy to be living with uh, mom and dad and living in the family home. Why wouldn't they be? It's harder and harder now for them to spread their own wings or get money together to be able to afford to, I mean, God almighty, not even rent a bedsit at this stage, never mind even be thinking about um, heading off. And I suppose the only way they could feasibly do it is if there's four or five of them in a house share. So that's an interesting one making the independent today. Um, and talk, talking about going from door to door, you may have seen the video, which I think has since been taken down. And it's Jerry Adams going from door to door carol singing, right? Um, and uh, it's, um, it's one of those TikTok sketches. And by and large, of course, all of those TikToks are set up and everybody's an actor and an actress. Uh, but he's doing the Christmas carol singing at the door uh, where he's singing along um, up the ra, chucky garlaw um, and things like tra la 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 la. Um, but Everybody who watched it kind of thought, uh, that, that's, a, that's a little bit too close to the bone. And uh, apparently Sinn Féin's TD Ono Brin has called on Jerry Adams to apologise for his part in this Christmas video. Because at the end of it, your man inside with his partner turns to the camera and says, they haven't gone away, you know. And um, it's just probably a little bit too too close to the bone and um, it's been taken down subsequently and that's a story that makes uh, this morning's Irish Times um, but as I mentioned with regards to Christmas and going from door to door um, uh, it's interesting because every single week there's some kind of a survey as to the cost of Christmas uh, and now we're being told again that um, the cost of turkeys are soaring I mean it, like if you were really smart about it you'd wait until 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve wouldn't you to buy your turkey assuming that there's still some left on the shelf or in the freezer cabinet. And then you'll pick it up as cheap as chips because they'll be reducing the prices. But they're saying the reasons why, according to the mail, uh, the turkeys are soaring, and I don't mean quite literally, has to do with um, packaging costs, avian flu scares, and Brexit. If, if all else fails, I suppose, blame Brexit. But they're working out that the cost of a Christmas dinner for four people... Uh, reaches €30.97. How do they do that? Well, they add up every single thing that you'd be putting on the plate. I don't know if they include... I assume they don't include the drink in that. This is just the Christmas meal itself, the dinner. Uh, And they go into quite some detail. But drink is covered in the papers today and it's in the Daily Mail. It's a big difference between men and women when it comes to alcohol. Apparently, research says that um, men drink to excess when they're offered a drink. Right? As in, when they have the first one, more men find it difficult to stop and they blaze away into it. But apparently, women crave a drink more, look forward to it more, um, you know, have happy thoughts about when they're going to settle down with the drink. Now, that could be a gin and tonton, or it might be a glass of vino, it might be wine o'clock. So the women look forward to it, as the paper says this morning's crave it, But the men abuse it more when they get started, apparently. And if you watched the season finale, it's not the whole end of succession, but it's the season finale last night. No, you're all right. You're grand. They're covering years around here. I've been known in the past um, to spoil storylines. I don't have to give you a spoiler alert because I'll say absolutely nothing about it. Apart from one thing, uh, and that is that it... It's nowhere near the season finale of last year. All right, that's all I'm going to say. But watching, does anybody think that watching Succession and shows like that, when you're dealing with families who are just so wealthy and they're fighting all of the time and they're anxious and they're worried and they're scared and, um, and they're fighting all of the time, do you ever wonder why they just don't say, 
listen, we have loads of money. Let's just pack it all in and enjoy it. Like, there's so much distrust, disharmony within the family, so much fear, so much arguing, so much unhappiness. Is there, is there ever a point where they might say, enough is enough? And even watching the last few episodes now and again last night, I couldn't help but think, like, let it go, like, just let it go and move on or do something that you actually enjoy. Because it's clear that they don't enjoy a single bit of it. Anyway, I hope I didn't spoil anything for you. I hope you're enjoying it. The Neil Prenderville Show. What do they crave? Emer saying in my ear that it's not money isn't their God. It's actually power and success is their God. But that's the whole thing about succession. Jump in if you want. All of the kids don't have power. They don't have success. They don't have responsibility because their dad won't give it to them. So why are they hanging around like as if crumbs at the table are going to fall their way? Just, I mean, you have to say that about, is it, is it Kendall? Kendall. <laughs> like, he was dead right. And uh, I won't say anything Don't about Don't say anything, no, because I'm one or two behind. Well, where's the power and the success so good. in well, their lives? Well, it's the craving for it because he's hanging them all on a string. Like, he's waiting, he's luring it, you know, to all of them. I know, like, but they're miserable. But uh, it's funny, I was just saying to Alberta this season, you know, I'm like, am I thick or what? But there must be new writers because the the language has changed, you know? So a lot of it would be kind of business speak. And I don't know if anyone listening would agree with me, but a lot of it, like there's entire lines in this in their speech that I have no idea if there's Words the businessy, banky, kind of contracty law stuff. We, yeah, it is, but massive words. Like, I have a degree in English, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm really, really thick listening to it this this Dara. time. But Alberto thinks it's done intentionally to kind of show us that we're minions and these are kind of superior beings, <sighs> people, <laughs> like, you know. They're paranoid. <laughs> it's a different life, like, that they live in. They're miserable. Know? Yeah, they are. It's at what, at what point do they actually enjoy any aspect of their life? They criticise every single thing. Yeah, you, they really love each other, even though they hate each other. They're vicious with each other. But what I love is the comedy in it. I just think it's just What's inspired. your man's name? So Culkin. funny. Culkin. No. What's your man's name? What's his Christian name? He is, he's the star of the show. Uh, the husband no, or the cousin? Macaulay Culkin's brother. I shouldn't call him Macaulay Culkin's brother because he's a fantastic actor in his own right. He is absolutely... Oh, the tall fella. No, no, small guy. The, the guy who's uh, a, bit, a, bit, oh, a bit strange. Oh, sorry, what's his name? God. Um, he's a super actor. He's fantastic. Fantastic, but I love the husband as well. Her husband, I like just because he's just so like Fadden. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's great, but it has to go like he's best best actor has to go to to the dad. I mean, he's just incredible. Just the way, and I won't yeah. say it on the air because it's early. But even just the way he tells them to f u c k off, I love even the way he well, says that word. If you want to see him, if you want to see him in action, watch the last episode of the season. Really, I'll, okay. say, no, I'll say no more yeah, than that. I have to watch it. Yet. Anyway, I know what I would do. I'd pick, I'd pick up the money, put it into my piggy bank, and I'd leg it. I yeah. just uh, forget about it, guys. I don't cash me in. But if anyone hasn't seen it they have to start like watching it back to back over Christmas it's great it's really good it's up there with uh, Game of Thrones it's actually probably better because Game of Thrones ended so badly (laughs) yeah um there's more of this though there's another there yeah, well, there's another season at least but I won't say any more than that alright lines are open 1850 uh, text 0868-104-106 it's Christmas time I'm mad keen for a Christmas song but just ahead of that business never mind about turkeys and the price of them whether there's a shortage of them or not business is booming when it comes to Christmas trees and I'm not talking about your Machia one Seamus was out over the last few days and he was down with Fintan Reardon at Cork Christmas trees on Centre Park Road opposite the Marina Market if you haven't been down to the Marina Market I'd imagine it must be superb at this time of the year. Very Christmassy, I'd imagine. Check it out. But every year, Finton runs a pop-up site selling locally grown trees 
Um, and he sells his own trees. They're from their own farm and forest, I guess, I guess, in ovens. And there's been a big move back to real Christmas trees in recent years. So Seamus was down there to get the inside track on all things uh, Christmas trees and the like. Um, and, uh, you, you know... You really should be looking at a real Christmas tree. Far be it for me to be dictating everything, I think. But for among other things, the smell is just gorgeous. We grew up with real trees. Don't like artificial. No, why not? Dust collectors. <laughs> and do you have the ideal Christmas tree in your head when you come in? Or yeah, how do you do. pick it out? Height first. Height, and then this has become a big, important issue. <laughs> it has to fit in. It's the water... Um, That's the water holder. It's the yeah. container, yeah. yeah. You didn't get that today or yesterday? No, no, no. definitely not. No. We used to always have artificial, and um, I just I, I like the the you know coming down and picking it out feels kind of special. The smell, of course, and um, yeah, I don't know. I said, uh, it's kind of a new new tradition for us now getting the new one, and I like it. Yeah. Is it because the whole global global warming, plastics, that type of thing? Are well, you, then again, I'm not too sure which is the best thing to go. Get your artificial, keep it for years, or the tree being cut down every year. I'm I'm torn as to which is the better one to be doing. Yeah. Actually, this is my first time. Yeah. <laughs> we always get a real one, yes. Yes, this is my friend. Yes. Yeah. And your first time getting a real one? Me, yeah. 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 Why, why is that? Are you more kind of climate aware now? or? Yes, I suppose so. And actually, what appealed to me to th- with this tree was... You can um, keep it in the pot and it, you can um, you know, have it in your garden. That's what attracted me to yeah. this. And also, if you look at it, it's just once a year. And if you have a look, like Anne was saying, we're buying a Christmas tree in a pot. So after Christmas, you can plant yeah. it. So basically, you're not destroying nothing. So you have a forest at home now, do you? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> this is my first Christmas tree. Well, our first Christmas tree yeah. in our own house. And, you know, with renting and stuff, I just don't feel I just don't feel right buying a plastic tree. It's, it's only going to go in the bin. It's going to go to waste. So just buying a real tree. Half the time it's easier, but it's also just a little bit nicer as well. And I feel like you'll feel less guilt throwing it away than afterwards yeah. because, like, it's a real tree, so it would have had to go in the bed anyway. Whereas if you, like, are renting and then you have to throw away, like, a plastic tree, like, most people don't have the place for storing it. Yeah. Essentially, it's, like, not more environmentally friendly, but I do feel like it is better overall. You get your first one, it's like a little tradition to start doing. Yeah. Another little thing, like, make people happy. The smell is lovely in the mornings when you come in. You open up and you turn on all the lights in the sitting room. The smell is lovely and the lights and the atmosphere. I don't know, we've never had a fake tree, so um, I'm happy to keep going with the real ones. And this is a lovely experience too, going in and having a look. It's like a shop. I think it's the smell, definitely. I mean, I know there's a bit of cleaning up after, but, uh, and it, you know, it, it looks pretty in the house and the cats like climbing over it, like, you know, climbing up through it. <laughs> it's a family choice, really. It's a compromise as well. <laughs> there's four of us here, well, the youngest. It's not. It's not deciding yet, but uh, basically she's the boss. She's only six now, <laughs> so it's her choice. Plus the size of the apartment, we have to take that into consideration as well. You know, benefits of an artificial tree may, may be a cost, but the, unfortunately environmental benefits are just not good with an artificial tree. Um, the real tree really outweighs the artificial tree. But especially since, uh, actually not even before last year, but especially last year, there was a massive shift towards the real tree. They're saying that the trees may lose their, their needles early this year because we had a very mild summer 
Uh, unfortunately, no, that wouldn't be true. The, the mild summer would be good for the growth of the trees. And if anything, last year we had an extremely wet October, and that's not good for the trees before you cut them. They don't like too much water, it's too much uh, saturation pH. But this year we've had a brilliant October, so dry. And even better, we've had frost on the trees after they were cut, and that's just just perfect, perfect. So now, no. anybody buying a tree from you this, uh, this afternoon? Do you have any tips for them to um, Yeah, so number the, definitely the best tip would be to get a water stand. Always use a water stand. We give out um, tree food sachets as well with our, with our water stands, so they're free of charge. We give them out to our customers and they help as well. Even a bit of 7-Up can help, um, but water is, you have to keep watering your, your tree. And when do you finish? When do you? Uh, generally just before Christmas Eve. We, we, we keep going until, um, you know, if someone wants a tree all the way up to just before Christmas Eve we'll, we'll sell a tree and will you get people coming that late to you oh yeah you, you do I suppose you know what um, people from different countries celebrate Christmas a bit later as well so um, depending on what country they're from they may celebrate by it may be tradi- more traditional by your Christmas tree the day before uh, Christmas Eve even yeah so it really depends met my own lover in the grocery store Oh, it's a beautiful song, and actually it's beautifully told, and you're right in the story with the images and everything as he sings along about reuniting with a long-lost love from his youth. That's the great Dan Fogelberg, who sadly died four years ago from prostate cancer. Lovely, lovely guy, and a fabulous talent. He had also great hits with Longer and The Reach and leader of the band, song he wrote for his dad. He was a multi-instrumentalist as well, clearly played piano, as you heard there, but guitar and bass and great voice and also played mandolin um, and he uh, loved the water and I believe that um, I believe that his ashes he left a request that to be cremated and his ashes were um, um, thrown into the uh, Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Maine but a beautiful song and a Christmas song for all that lines are open 1850-104-106 a very special request this morning for the one and only Lily Dunn who celebrates her 21st birthday today so happy 21st birthday to you Lily Dunn with love from all of the family particularly your ma'am Sheila and your super brother TJ and your uncle Pat who got in touch with me to ask me to give you a shout out today and you know uh, your dad the one and only uh, super jock uh, Ted Dunn your dad's looking down on you looking down on you his his princess and he's looking down especially on you today and always so a happy happy birthday to you Lily you've grown into a beautiful young woman happy 21st back after the break that's weird don't know why that happened but it's obviously got a mind of its own but either way lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. yeah you're absolutely right somebody texted in saying Neil you don't throw anyone's ashes you scatter them I have a family member who is cremated thank you were you ever in a situation where you said something and you knew it was wrong um, sometimes I should need to engage the brain first. Uh, maybe others say, why don't you, why don't you um, just say the second thing that comes into your head as opposed to the first thing that comes into your head. But you're right in that regard. The minute I had said the word regarding Dan Fogelberg throwing, having his ashes thrown into the Atlantic, I knew it was the wrong word. So thank you for that. I should have said scattered. Uh, apologies. Nice to be corrected. Thank, corrected. Thank you. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. It's day two of our giveaways in association with the Blue Haven Collection. Now they're out of Kinsale, but they also have a wonderful, wonderful Vicky's Kitchen and Garden. 
garden in Sunday's Well, which is a beautiful gem in the heart of the city and is great for lunch or brunch or indeed, if you fancy it this side of Christmas, a bottomless brunch. So today uh, we're featuring yet more giveaways. And on Friday, we will be dealing with the giveaway for Vicky's in Sunday's Well. But today it's uh, three winners, three winners again today for an overnight stay for two at the luxury Georgian Old Bank townhouse in Kinsale. This is a midweek break for you and whomever you choose to take with you and we will have three winners again this morning. It's very straightforward not a bother in the white earthly world all you're listening out for is this Ho ho ho! Merry Christmas! And to you too Santi. So when you hear that and I'll give it another couple of spins between now and midday but the final spin just before midday call us 10, 11 and 12 win uh, one of those three prizes and it's a midweek overnight for you and whomever you choose to stick with you at the luxury Georgian Old Bank Townhouse in Kinsale. Beautiful time, beautiful place any time of the year but Kinsale is particularly beautiful at Christmas time. Okay, back to the phone lines we go and it's been a while since I had a chat with Lena. It's always good to catch up and see how she's getting on. Lena, good morning. And, and and can you hear me all right, Lena? I can, in fact. Good yes, stuff. Yes, now, perfectly. and again, just just to remind people, of course, that Lena, you lost your sight at a very young age. I but did. You, I was only thirty-one. That's what right. I forgot to tell you in that interview was, um, Doctor O'Sullivan was going to send me over to Cambridge University in England yeah. to see could they do anything for me, yeah. and he took me down to the theatre one morning to examine the eyes before he sent me over there, and he came up the next day. He said, I have bad news and very bad news. I said, well, oh, good God, what's happening to me now? He said, when I took out the eyes to examine them, he said, they went away and dust in my hands. You have no backs in the eyes, he said, to keep out disease, infection, no. or anything else. No good. And I'll give you six weeks now, he said, and you, I'll hear your roaring coming up the Western Road with the pain you'll have. So what I have to do, he said, the nurse will get you ready there for the theatre after dinner. I have to take out the two eyes. Oh, my God, I said, Doctor. He said, I'm telling you no, they won't last more than six weeks. There's nothing there. He said, you have no backs in your eyes at all. God almighty. So anyway, I said, no, Doctor, I won't. I won't do that at all. I said, we'll wait and see. I'm telling you no, he said, I'm warning you. You'll be up so, the western road in pain, yeah? Yeah. And were you? Pardon? Were you, were you in pain weeks later? No. Oh. I met him. Six years after, I had Sean and my first guide dog, and they told us out in the guide dog to keep up the training we got. So I was taking her up to Daly's Bridge to shake the bridge as I went along, and if she was afraid of that, I was to tell Nigel Catterson and he'd come out about it. <laughs> so I met this man anyway, and she said to me, do you know me? Well, so as if I could see, you know, maybe I'd know you. That's me down there, and <laughs> So... To see, I'm the doctor that was going to take out your eyes. And I went to see, I often thought about you, and I thought you went to somebody else and they took out the eyes because you wouldn't give it to say to me I was right. He said, I'm telling you one thing, girl, you beat medical ethics, then I shouldn't be there at all. You're a medical miracle. That's what he said. <laughs> he said they shouldn't be there at all. But in spite of all of that, of course, in our conversation in the past, you just got on with life, you managed yeah, to cope, you adapted. I was wasn't going to beat me, I yeah, did. I yeah, was, yeah. I know, I know. Oh, and do, you know, with regards to Christmas now and all of the lights and the colour and everything, yeah, do, you, can, do you miss seeing... I can sense them in my own mind, you know. From the memories of your youth. The memories that I had when I had Miss Aicha. I, I can I can picture all the colours and everything, you know. I know. I, I can. Know, I know. Yeah. And your dog now is Traxy, is that's it? That's Traxy, that... I have there. No, that's the, that's the Holy Ghost I call her. <laughs> Everywhere I go, she's there. <laughs> she, I can move with her. Is she very good? Ah, sure. Don't talk to me. 
I went up to bed there one night and I thought she was gone up before me. And the next thing I heard the bang at the door, secret heart to God, says it's the one breaking in her ass. There she came in, she was asleep on the settee. And I went up to bed without her. She jumped up in the bed and gave me a slap of her paw. Mr. To say you went away without me. <laughs> She's got a really strong personality, isn't she? She has. Oh, no, don't suppose it. She's here now sitting next to me again. Don't you go, Tantra. Your best pal. Uh, she is. She's a good dog. But I know you were in town there recently. I was and, in town and, there now a fortnight. And Traxy was with you. What happened? Going down the North Main Street, we were walking away, and the next thing, she turned around, and she turned me and all with her. She got such a turn. And God, I said, what's back there? There was somebody and they had my bag open, the zip of my bag pulled back. And I, ne- I had my sh- bag on me from sh- the left to right sh- shoulder. And I never felt her touching that bag. Wow. The track, she found it. And How? she went for her hammer and tongs. Did she, like, what did she, did she bark at her? She, she barked at her, she tore her. She nearly tore her. She nearly got mad. She grinded her teeth and all. She and knew what was going on. She did. She could, even though she was concentrating on what she was doing for me, she saw what she was doing behind. And she cut her. And let's just talk about this a little. So a woman came up behind you, opened yeah. your bag, n- knowing that you had a that guide I, dog by your side. I was blind, of course. She knew I couldn't see her. You see, but she didn't count on and Trixie seeing her. Good God. They'd rob a blind woman. Yeah. She didn't. You see, she knew I couldn't see her, what she was doing. But she didn't count that Trixie was watching. And what happened next? She, Trixie's grinded the teeth anyway. And she went for her, and she ran up the North Main Street like a lunatic, this one, whoever she was. Only for the dog. If she gave the bag one more pull, she'd have got me purse. Isn't and that I incredible? I never felt it on my shoulder. Did never. any did any passerby come up to you and tell no. you, fill you in? What happened? No, but a woman said to me, so she, if she hadn't pulled back to the she had a scissor, she said, she said that would cut grass for you. She'd have clipped the bag and it took be gone. Only for the dog. A woman saw this happening? She did, yeah. And saw this other one running away. She saw her running up. She ran up the North Main Street. Did, you get, did she give you a description of her anything? That was past two in the day. No description, no, just No, she, she couldn't give me this. I couldn't see her. Like, Isn't know. it a despicable thing? It's bad yeah. enough robbing anybody, but robbing a blind woman yeah. with a guide dog, that's a yeah. new law. That's true. And she's only for tracks, you know. She'd have been gone with me purse. And I had money for Christmas. I wanted to buy a few presents for people and that. And that's what I had been gone to. Oh, my God. Only for the dog. She went for her hammer and tongs. And I said, Trax, when she was gone, you're a good guy. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh. (laughs) She was talking to me now. How did the dog, how did Traxie know that what this woman wanted to do was wrong? She must have known. She she went for her anyway. You see, dogs, I suppose, can sense a threat. They can sense things, I think, myself. They can. They can sense what's going on around them. She saw her, even though she was concentrating on what she was doing for me. What she a despicable thing to and do. And if she had given the zip one more pull, she'd have got the purse. And well, did it shake you? Like, were you shook by it? I got a fright. I did, of course, because, good God, I wasn't expecting that at all. Nothing no. like this has ever happened to you before? Never before, never, no. People would come to help, usually, yeah? Huh? Nobody, only the dog. She near, went for her hammer and tongs. Isn't that amazing? Well and done, Traxy. I said, good girl, Trax, and she, wow, 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 wow. And Isn't she's not getting your purse. She a Labrador or what? She is. She's a, a golden Labrador. What? She was about the same colour as 
Elsa. She, oh, I yeah, remember Elsa. She sure, met Elsa a few times. And she, um, I said to her then, I said to Trax, so come on, old girl, and I'd buy, I'd cause a chicken for her, a chicken rosy. And to say, we go going home, and we buy a chicken rosy for Trax. <laughs> what? Do you roast the chicken or boil the chicken? I boil it for her, yeah. And, she, um, she wouldn't demolish it in one sitting, though, no? Pardon? She wouldn't demolish the chicken in one sitting, would she? She would. Go away. No trouble at all. I take her off the bone, you see. It's very good and for I her, actually. I Great. went to up for her. And then yeah, she ran down the Grand Parade into the market and over to Jolly Manhunts <laughs> for her chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you will get it for me. I deserve that. Oh, my God. What a <laughs> smart dog. Yeah. She is. She's very cute. I'm telling you, my purse would have been gone only for her. And all of your Christmas money gone with it? On my Christmas money. I was going in town to buy things for people. I had about 400 tour on the purse. They'd rob the bag from a blind woman with a guide dog. And I wouldn't have been able to make it up anymore. No, no. And tell me... And And my pension card was in it as well as... And the rent card. And tell me, I mean, you're not going to be nervous now going into town next time, no? Pardon? Are you okay with going back into oh, yeah. town? It so hasn't rattled your confidence. Now. What? She watches anyone who that's walking behind me. She looks around to see who are there. You're probably safer than anybody at all in the city now. I am with her. I yeah. am because everyone that's walking behind me, she looks around to see who are there. What are they doing? Isn't that unbelievable? She's what, right what a superhero dog! I was down to Master the other morning, and there was a girl walking behind me, and she turned around the way she did when uh, she caught this one catching me purse. She turned around and watched her to see what was going on. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, oh unbelievable. yeah, she did. That's true now. Well, I was going fair, and she did that. Fair play to her. How, how, will, you, how will you spend Christmas Day? Oh, I'll be here with Trex. Yeah. yeah. Will you cook? Oh yeah, I'm cooking my own dinner. I have cooked, I have my dinner on inside. Now I was due today. Oh, I just due yesterday. It's the and job, I isn't it? I was today now. And um, <laughs> I just gave t- uh, Trex her chicken rosy. I mean, it's an amazing thing that you would prepare a stew and there's so much involved in it. You know, yeah, the cotton and the chop. And a bit of meat and put a cup of carrots and parsnips and a few potatoes. I know, but you're doing it all in the pitch black dark. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I can. Thank God in his blessed mother. You're amazingly positive considering the... And I can clean the house and do everything. And I was cleaning the windows there one day and there was two women coming down at the other side and one said to the other, she said... Isn't that the blind woman? So she cleaned the windows. I don't mind her. She, she's not blind at all. So if she was blind, so she, she couldn't do that. <laughs> don't no. you might say, if you were blind, would you be bothered cleaning the blind, windows? Said, don't do nothing, I'll do it. Feel sorry for yourself. So I waved over at him to let him know I heard him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so will you have a turkey on Christmas Day? I'll have a ha- turkey and a, and a bit of ham. Have you got them all in and everything? Pardon? Have you got them in? Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't the turkey yet, no. Because I... Uh, my my boy brings it to me there, William Healy. He brings me a turkey every Christmas. And um, I have, I I have. I don't, I don't know whether it would suit you or not, but McCarthy's Family Butchers, they're at Hawks Road in Bishopstown, also up in Groner Broher. That's right. They have given me um, vouchers for um, one a big turkey breast, half a ham and a spiced beef. Mm-hmm. Would yourself and Traxy eat that? We would, of course. Well, then there's one for you. Traxy, God bless her, would eat herself. <laughs> she'd, eat, she'd eat the best. The if she touches food. Food. She'd meant for food. Okay, well, let me give the turkey breast to Traxy and the half a ham and the spiced beef to you then. What do you think? Very nice, <laughs> Thanks very much. You're more than welcome. Now, I hear that you have a particular special Christmas song that you love. Is it more of a Christmas carol or a hymn, Silent really, is it? Silent Night, yeah. Uh, I love Silent Night. Can you sing it? 
I could. Can you sing me a verse of it? Yeah. Oh, I'm listening. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, Romeo virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Lena, you are one of the world's most wonderful people. <laughs> You're just a beautiful individual. I love chatting with you. Thanks and, very uh, much, Chair. And if I don't get to talk to you this side of Christmas time, happy Christmas and to many, you. Many, many, many happy returns. Mean you're a very good man yourself. And whatever yourself. you do, would you please stay in touch, all right? I will, of course. All right, girl. I will, of course. I'm gonna, you're a great man. I'm going to play um, a lovely version of Silent Night for you by Simon and Garfunkel. This is Thanks just especially much. for you and Traxy, all right? Hear that, Trax? Silent Night for you. See you, Lena. Thanks, Neil. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. It's a beautiful version. It's very simple, very straightforward. Simon and Garfunkel and a piano and Silent Night. And that's for Lena and Traxy. Back after the break on 1850-104-106. Nice open on 1850-104-106. You can text 086-8104-106. I don't know what it is with people that would do something like that, uh, attempt to rob the money in the handbag of a of a blind woman with a guide dog. I don't know whether it's a drug addiction or, you know, I mean, with the heroin addiction, they'd rob the eye out of your head, I suppose, for the next fix. I don't know whether it's that or just too lazy to get a job and get their own money, but um, that's a new low for me. Talk about preying on the vulnerable, although... Lena wouldn't describe herself as vulnerable. She gets on and makes do. So a lovely chat with her. Um, oh, incidentally, talking about the kindness of people, uh, Kiri's were in touch yesterday following my conversation with Emma, whose car was robbed, stolen, and completely and utterly burnt out. And it's only a few months old. It's a Dacia. Only a few months old, and all the kids' stuff were inside, and there was Christmas toys in the boot and everything. It's found up on the north side. Uh, Kiri's got in touch because they're the dealers for Dacia. And uh, Jackie Dawson, their group marketing manager, emailed me to say that we're happy to provide a loan of a car for uh, for Emma after her Dacia was stolen and burnt out over the weekend. Um, and please contact me if you need if you need the car. Um, thank you for that. I think it's very, very kind of you. And I appreciate it, Jackie. I think Emma is sorted. And if she's not sorted already, I believe her insurance company will be giving her, as part of her policy, um, a loan of a car. She can hire a car. Um, but um, if that doesn't happen, then I certainly will back to you. And thank you for it. Um, quite a lot of correspondence from yesterday. I was talking with Michael O'Doherty, the healthcare practitioner on air. Not so much about COVID as a disease and how sick some people can get and unfortunately die from it, but the, the implications are for everybody else, for their health, physical and mental. Big response to that. Lots of texts. Michael O'Doherty is hitting the nail on the head. We're using COVID to cover up a failed healthcare system. He said it. It's true. It's clear as the nose in your face. Another one. Michael is dead right. I turn off the news every time it comes on. I'm sick of all this bad news. Morning. I feel the same as Michael O'Doherty. The news is causing mass stress and anxiety. I turn it off a lot. Another one. I totally agree with what Michael is saying. People are highly frustrated now. I'm double vaccinated in my late 40s. I'm not getting a top-up when the vaccine comes around to my turn. I'm absolutely sick to death of the whole lot of it now. The world has just gone crazy. 
We need to get on with our lives. Two years later and we're back to restrictions. It just never ends. Another one. Thank God for Michael. At long last, you have someone speaking sense about COVID. Enough has been done by everyone to protect a failing health system. Our children have suffered enough for what is known globally to be a mild illness for the majority. Time for everyone now to move forward. Uh, Neil, our health system hasn't worked in decades. They're using COVID as an excuse. Disband the HSE, get rid of Paul Reed and others, and listen to the consultants that have been screaming for change and know what is wrong. It's been wrong for years. It's just utter madness. You said COVID has improved people's lives. Um, well, I said, I did not necessarily said that. I said COVID times has allowed people to make changes to their lives for the better. I didn't say that the actual illness or disease has. Anyway, Texas said, you said COVID has improved people's lives. You had a great time at the Panto wearing your mask and showing your papers at the door to get in. You're some clown, Neil, and people like you complying with this nonsense are just prolonging it. And just one or two more. Uh, I'd rather lick the handrails of Wuhan train station than take a clot shot, says Sean in Douglas. Uh, and two more. In Australia, there was a lady who was a close contact of someone with COVID. She panicked and lied to police about having taken a PCR test. She was taken away to a COVID camp. Uh, I'm sad to think this might happen in Ireland. Again, thanks for speaking about this. Um, and one final one, I think it shows the only program that's providing a more balanced view of COVID. You've given people who are unvaccinated a voice and hopefully people listening will realise that we shouldn't be turning on each other. And that's just a selection. There are pages and pages of them. Perhaps we might pick it up after 10. That and lots more besides. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can text 086-8104-106. Disappointed to hear you mention the mandatory vaccine poll on the program. This was from yesterday morning's mail. The polls like that are designed to divide the public and to stoke up fear and hatred over a virus that's 99% survival rate. It's incredibly disturbing that you would even speak about it. Well, it was in the front of the newspapers yesterday and I tee up papers in the morning and they were saying uh, that the majority of people, not huge majority, maybe 55, 60% of people, uh, said that they were in favour of mandatory vaccination. How you would even do that, I have no idea. Well done for speaking out. Too much information constantly. I was in America last week. Not a word was on the radio. No figures were rammed down people's throats. If people want to know statistics, they can look it up for themselves. Our health system is so bad, the numbers are always high, says Jaron Cove. And another one or two. Huge response to Michael O'Doherty's interview yesterday. Maybe it's time uh, some uh, something, maybe, if, maybe it's something like if you are diagnosed with COVID and then you're out and about and get caught, maybe arrest them for public safety. Well, you know, that's the kind of language that's actually quite frightening and scary. Um, another thing now, Neil, that needs talking about is a person's phone being scanned going into pubs or fast food outlets in the city. I showed my pass on the phone, but because I'd not let my phone be scanned, there was a problem getting in. Well, they need to scan the QR code, you see. Uh, anyway, listen, can I acknowledge all of the other texts on that? If I get an opportunity to come back and read them, I will do. It's a big day today, and Seamus Whelan is visiting Mount Joseph, Mount St. Joseph's and Blarney Street because the share residents are there, and they're going to be getting their hampers and their Christmas dinner, and all of the students will be there. So we're mad excited to get up there because there's great stories from the share residents and Seamus will be there, microphone in hand, and hopefully we can get it turned around tomorrow and get it on the air. And 
There's also the lovely blessing of the crib that happens tomorrow at six o'clock on Patrick Street and the mayor will be there and the bishops will be there and the army band will be there. And if it's safe for people to travel in, maybe it might be a nice thing to, to check out tomorrow at six o'clock on Patrick Street. Either way, lines open one eight fifty one oh four one oh six. You can text oh eight six eight one oh four one oh six. After the break, Nick Foster, the author of Murder at Roaring Water, about the latest updates regarding the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Nick Foster, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good to be on the show. And great to talk to you eventually. You're very much in the news this week, notwithstanding your super book, Murder at Roaring Water. Here we are at the 25th anniversary with a memorial mass and service coming up in the next few weeks to the passing and the death and the unsolved murder of Sophie Toscan de Plante. But things have really um, taken a turn, haven't they, with regards to the West Cork podcast, Jim Sheridan's documentary, the Sky documentary, your book and other books like it. You've been saying of late that more people are now coming forward yeah that's actually right i mean um since the book came out and indeed since the documentaries came out uh people have contacted me uh anonymously sometimes confidentially as well and i've been going through those uh tip-offs i've been sorting through that information i've been trying to join the dots as well yeah um people are a bit concerned that um, I'm talking now about people in, in, in West Cork sometimes a bit concerned that they're uh, approaching this so long after the event you know that they're bringing new information to the table so long after the event and in some cases they've already uh, approached Gardaí and apparently were given short shrift oh, really? um, but what I can tell you is that there's a an important amount, a, a, a significant amount of new information that's on the table. And I know the guards are taking it seriously because you see some of these witnesses, I mean, I, you know, I, I encourage them to go to the guards. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they come back to me and say, oh, well, you know, the, the, such and such guardee came round and we chatted for this amount of time and I know it's being taken seriously. I know the, the, the new leads are being taken seriously. What I will say as well is that I know, Neil, you know, you've been on this case for 25 years. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a new arrival because I've been looking <laughs> no. into it since no, you're 2004. No, you know it inside well, yeah. out. You know oh, no, I'm, I, I am really. And, and you know what? We can all say, oh, well, um, you know, we've got to be a bit patient now. We've got to be patient. I, I think that we're approaching a conclusion. We've got to be a bit patient. People at West Cork have got to be patient. People following the case have got to be patient. And that's that's okay. But what isn't okay is to say to the family of Sophie Toscan du Plantier, you've got to be patient. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, they've suffered every single day for 25 years because of this. And it's slowly destroying them. So it's mm-hmm. urgent. It's urgent now that this gets sorted once and for all. That, that justice is served once and for all. Um, you, are and, aware, uh, you are aware that Gardaí... And Gardaí, they get some Yeah, you are aware that Gardaí investigate, like the, that, the, that senior detectives now are apparently going to West Cork. That was making the news over the last couple of days. Um, so, so clearly, yeah, just, with senior uh, exactly, detectives yeah. revisiting West Cork, I don't know if that's a cold case or a complete reinvestigation, uh, but they must be travelling there for a reason, and that could be the evidence that's come forward, perhaps, Yeah. Well, I, I rather suspect it is the evidence that come forward, but it, you know, I'm, I'm just concerned a little bit that it isn't, you know, some kind of God of news management. You know, oh, yeah. this is a landmark anniversary that's coming up. Clearly, it's it's something of an embarrassment that no charges have been brought in Ireland in 25 years. And as well, you know, this is Sophie Toscan Duplanty. Remember, 
this was a woman who made Ireland her home. It was where she felt happiest, and it's where she should have been safest. And uh, as I say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pleased that there are apparently uh, guards in Dublin who are packing their bags uh, and about to travel down to West Cork. That's obviously good. I just hope that this can isn't going to be kicked down the road because because justice really needs to be really needs to be served. And I think that there's there's two questions that that we come back to. You know, not just one. There's two. First of all, who kills Sophie Tosken Duplantier? And the second question is come back to what I just said before. Why have no charges been brought in Ireland in 25 years? The answer to that is also to do with a, a piece of information that, that that I was handed, and it's to do with a significant error on the part of the guards on the morning after the murder. Which was so, what? Because we know yeah. the guard investigation was pretty poor in many areas. Um, are, you, are you specifying one particular incident? That's right. So I'm specifying, it, it's true, first of all, just to, maybe to remind a little bit, it's, it's absolutely true that, that, uh, that the guards have been criticised you know, left, right and centre for the way in which the investigation was carried out. And I've been also... You know, defending them because I mean, you know, the the house to house inquiries uh, on the mizzen were carried out in a very thorough way, and uh, as far as I can see, there, there's no systemic corruption in this case at all. No systemic corruption. However, there was one significant error um, that's to do with the crime scene. I can give you a time frame as well. So between about 11 a.m. and 12 noon on the morning after the murder, and I've um, I was given this information in September of this year, it took me, nearly took me like two months to go through it and, and, and to check it out. Mm. The, the information in itself is a short piece of information. It was passed on to me. I, uh, here's the thing. I looked, I looked at the, I looked at the police file. When you, when you, when you got the police file in front of you, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of documents. Um, most of these documents are, I'd say at least two thirds of the documents are witness statements from various people on the mizzen, uh, various people, County Cork, West Cork. But there's another group of statements which are memos to the file drawn up by individual guardie, right? That's like a second set of documents mm. in the guard file. And when I got this information in uh, in September, I, uh, the person who, said, who gave me the information said to me, what do you make of it? And I said, well, that answers that, doesn't it? That answers a question that's been in my head for so long was why is it when I look at the the, the memos memos for the file that individual guards wrote, you're familiar with Garda speak, right, Neil? So yeah. the, the you know the way in which the police, not just in your country but also in mine, tend to uh, drop documents. That's so a bit stilted, a bit yeah. you know. It's a, they they write in a certain way, don't yeah, they? Very All right, a bit formal. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing: there was one guard, one of many guards, who wrote in a way that was different. Eh? Who 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 drew up several memos for the file back in the day but the way that he drew up those memos the language that he used was different it was different it was like materially different and the content of these several memos amongst hundreds of other memos of course was also a little bit different he'd been preying on my mind why is it that this guard decided to write in a way that was different in his memos to the file and Everything fell into place. You know, the penny dropped when I got this tip off in September, and I realised that the file, that the guard of file, had a clue in it. I mean, it sounds surprising, but it, uh, that's what it is. So, one guard in particular had left 
a clue in the file, uh, uh, left a kind of a pointer in the file. And I've got to tell you, I, I like to think I'm thorough and a bit determined, but I hadn't spotted it. And I'd gone through the file probably three times, four times by the time I spoke to that gentleman in September. And I hadn't, and I hadn't seen it. But what I can tell you is that the tip-off that I was given in September about uh, how the crime scene was managed, again, between 11 a.m., approximately 11 a.m., on the morning after the murder and 12 noon, that, that, that tip-off was you know, backed up by this new reading of these several memos for the file but in, pe- the, in, the, in, but, in the police. But file. people listening to this will be screaming out to hear what the clue was. Yeah, they will. Well, and, and you know what? I'm going to be absolutely honest with you and clear with you now. And, you know, I'd love to tell you. I'd love to be able to say, look, this is it. This is the reason why, you know, the main reason why no charges have been brought in Ireland over 25 years. This is it. I'll give you what, you know, I know you're, you know, interested in following the case for so long. So many people in West Cork have been, uh, you know, there's a kind of a toxic stain on the, on the landscape there because of this. And I know how much they care as well, the West Cork people. But I've done what I feel to be my duty. So I've taken this, uh, as soon as it checked out, by the way, I didn't take it straight away, but as soon as the information checked out, I was able to square it, this tip off against the, 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 the police file. I took it where it had to go. I took it to Sophie's family and their legal representatives. And my no. agreement... You didn't flag it with the Irish Guard, you know? I repeat, I took it to Sophie's family and their legal representatives. I'm not prepared to say okay. anything more so, about okay. so, what happened after that. So uh, it wasn't... All their reactions, by the way, that it was... Uh, it, just maybe it's worth pointing out as well that I wanted to make real sure. Yeah, I wanted to make really sure that that information was properly understood. So I gave them that information in the language that they understand best, so in French. And was it... I also... Was it the silver watch that you allege was taken from her body? No, it was not. Was it the bottle of red wine that the farmhand is no, alleged no. to have found? No, it's something It's something that... Independent. As I say, it goes to... It, exactly, it's different. It's independent of all that, and it goes to the heart of why... No charges have been brought in Ireland in 25 years. Goes to the heart of why those poor people, you know, a decent, dignified, selfless people, Sophie's family, have suffered for 25 years. It's to do with a mistake. So I don't want to. I don't want to be saying it's it's anything more or less than that to do with a mistake. They've been informed by me of what it is. I've done my level best. Could that be one of the reasons why people I've had contact with down through the years have come to me and said that they have evidence that they brought to the Gardaí and in one case, one particular individual was told, forget about it, do you think? Yeah, look, this, this is this has come up as well, uh, Neil, and, and it's, 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 it's both surprising and a little bit shocking it, that, that sometimes um, people in West Cork wanting to do their civic duty have gone to certain guards and have been given short shrift by those guards when you know, those um, residents of West Cork have something on their chest, you know, they want to get off that, that, that they feel is important to bring in the killer to justice. And they've told me that uh, in some cases they felt that like the guardie weren't taking it seriously enough. And that's, you know, again, I, I, I don't want to draw any more conclusions than that. Okay. Um, it's something that I, you know, I, I state to you as, as being 
my experience, what I've been told. You think that information? Do you think that information could be a game changer then for the guard investigation if the De Plantier family handed on or the Bournewalls? Yeah, I'm certain it'll be game changer. Okay, I'm but, certain it is. But you and, do, and, and not only that. I mean, I should be really clear that that you know, it, it, it it's it, it, it absolutely. When I got the information, I was oh, uh, I didn't know what to say. I mean, like my jaw dropped. I mean, I've been given various pieces of information, various tip offs over. Uh, last six months or so since my book came out and and this particular one is in in september that i uh, that as i say seemed to be seemed to be flanked by or seemed to be backed up by clues let's say hidden in, in the, the guarded dossier well yeah. at least, at least one, uh, hidden in plain sight hidden in plain sight i just didn't you know, I hadn't spotted it but you know th- this is this is um this is a lead which guards inevitably will have to uh will have to deal with and uh, you know, one, one day, one day, this will be the former mystery of the murder of Sophie Toscan Do you, you believe sure that this that. piece of information that you're referring to will result in a conviction? Well, that I can't say because that's up to an Irish jury, right? Okay. So there's going to be a jury of, of Irish uh, women and men who are going to decide on that, and it's absolutely not my place to 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 to, to, to go there. It's not my place to comment. So on it would be that. unfair also, to I, ask you: Do you think that this piece of information would lead to a trial? Well, what I can say is that that I think that this piece of information, um, as I said before, explains why no charges have been brought in Ireland in the last okay. 25 years. Okay, okay. I've probed you enough that's, on that's that. That's what I can say, but I, okay. as, I, as, I, as I said, I, you know, uh, I've, I've dealt with it in um, the most yeah, serious way I could. I mean, I dropped everything to, to test out the, the information that was given to me. I flew over to, to Ireland to do that. Um, I've, I've cross-checked as much as I can. I, I went through the, the whole file again. And at, only at that point was I confident enough, mm. and now I'm absolutely confident, mm. you know, to take it to Sophie's family and to tell them. And as I say, I can't share with you, okay, okay. Uh, you th- their reaction, but I can tell you what mine was when I heard in September, which was absolute dismay. Okay, you have said in the past and have been quoted as saying that you claim that the, uh, a silver watch was taken from Sophie's body. That's a correct quote from you isn't it you believe that and and you, you almost you you have kind of reenacted what you believe happened on that night involving the killer and taking a bottle of red wine from Sophie's porch and her asking the killer not to am i interpreting that right well that, that, that that's correct so that's another that's another lead that that i came across i think that it's i believe that that's what happened um i think that um the killer took a fairly circuitous route, let's say, to Sophie's door that night. And I think that my information is that when that when Sophie opened the door, the killer grabbed a, a bottle of well, unopened, a sealed bottle of wine from the porch area, which was you know a bit, a bit cooler. It's probably where if you were a French person, you'd keep your wine. So um, the killer grabbed a bottle of wine from the, the porch area. Uh, Sophie uh, was upset about that, and a kind of altercation started and. Uh, at that point, um, afterwards, um, I believe that it was the same bottle of wine, an open bottle of wine, which was discarded in a ditch at the end of the Boreen leading to uh, Drenan on the Kulfada Road, not very far from that turnoff. And that was subsequently found by a farmhand next year, given to Gardaí. Yeah, that like in, in the spring of, exactly, in the spring of... 97. Uh, 1997. And did the Gardaí take that seriously enough, do you think? 
Well, that's interesting because what happened was that the, the Gardi um, took a statement from the farmhand, young man, uh, back in the day. So, you, you know, in, in, in 1997, when, when, when he found it and when he, he told the guards about it. But here's the thing. The guards then went back in two, at the end of 2001 to re-interview uh, the same farmhand. So something must have happened between between those two dates. Yeah. It, it, it seems it seems you it know, seems difficult to understand why they wouldn't do that if more information hadn't come to light that would have that would have prompted the second interview of the farmhand, who's now a few years older, of course, at the end of two thousand and one. But you know, with you know, wouldn't wouldn't you think now in in twenty twenty one going into twenty twenty two, twenty five years later, that any kind of an eyewitness account or any kind of evidence or confessional details that people might be bringing now would be thrown out as just being twenty five year old hearsay that none of it matters anymore? Do you not think? Well, n- not really. First of all, you, you, you know, there's 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 already um, a lot of circumstantial uh, evidence in the file. Uh, what I've noticed as well is with the, if I can just kind of come back to the the tip offs that I've been given, the information I've been given, is that quite often they can be corroborated by more than one person. Mm. In one particular case, actually, there was a there was actually a physical record of of the exchange that, that that took place a remarkable physical record i i can't say what it what, what it is but but it's it's not quite as simple as that i mean i think that it's the the weight of evidence it's the uh the people who are bringing the evidence forward the similarity uh, and, of it as, as you say, say it, the it, corroboration it, of it yeah 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 exactly exactly which is which is what uh, obviously i mean uh, you know you have every faith in in goddess yohana who are going to do these you know uh, these you know these corroborations. I mean, that's that's their job, after all. And and I know for a fact that they're working hard on these on these new leads. Okay. Can I can I just park that part of our conversation actually and turn to your relationship with somebody who's been very much in the news over the past twenty five years, um, because of this case, um, and that of course is is Ian Bailey. You and Ian Bailey were were very close for for a long long time, um, and indeed he went through the libel trial, uh, which to some thought at the time the libel trial was almost like a, a murder trial with the amount of information that was developed uh, delved through. But then it was a trial against the Gardaí and the state. Um, so he, he he already has been, um, you know, investigated. He's been questioned. He's been found guilty in a French trial um, and will not go to France for another trial. So we know that historic part regarding Ian Bailey. But what's your relationship with him? Because you were very close to him for many years, weren't you? Well, that's right. I mean, uh, for, for people who are listening, who've read my, my book, uh, they'll you know, they'll, they'll see the whole trajectory of that relationship, if you like, uh, on the pages of the book. Um, and I haven't spoken with him for um, almost exactly a year. What I can tell you about uh, Mr. Bailey is he's, you know, he's quite pleasant if he thinks you're on his side, if you're one of his uh, puppets on strings, as he, as he once said to me, the way that he talks about journalists who he feels he can man- manipulate. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, you know, right at the beginning, I mean, I, I approached this whole Sophie story with an open mind. I mean, the first time I met uh, Mr. Bailey was uh, Neil was in was in was in uh, was in Dublin in 2014 at the action against the the states and uh, the goddess Yohana. Yeah, and yeah, he, was, he was very charming. Uh, uh, but most of all, I mean, you know, I thought it was entirely plausible that the guards had set him up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- you know, that was where I where I started, and and um, the the journey after that uh, of you know getting to know getting to know the case from the from the you know the god father he gave me was 
a significant one for, for me, at least, you know, that journey. But but getting to know him as well was was no less significant. And yeah, now I mean, um, he he's taken to Twitter. He called me uh, every name under the sun. He's called me a cretin, a liar, a prick. He's compared me to Adolf Hitler. But here's the thing: that you know, there's more chance of Mr. Bailey landing on the surface of Mars. Than there is of him being able to intimidate me. It's just, yeah. just really, it's okay. water. It's water off the ducks back. No, it really he, is. Yeah, I mean, I know that he called you sad and lonely. The the other expletives I wasn't aware of were they actually right. were they actually all on Twitter? They're on public record. They're, they're a matter of public record. Anybody can see it. And so, and, how did your uh, like how did your relationship this, come off the track? Well, again, I don't want to I don't want to give any spoilers for anybody who's going to be picking the the book up anytime okay. soon. I appreciate but, that. but but it, it it's to do with the fact that. Let's say the the, the the book, Neil, is my investigation into this. Okay. It's my my search for the truth. And as best I could, I mean, you know, that's that, that, that's, that, that's clearly how it's going to be. I mean, I, you know, I approach it with the tools that I've got. Uh, one of those tools, by the way, is, is being able to speak uh, French. So I was able to investigate the French side as well. Gotcha. Yeah. But, yeah. but I know, I know that. Should we, also say, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, I should also say that, that fairly early on in this, I met, um, I met Pierre-Louis. Uh, Sophie's son and he asked me what I wanted to do and I said well I want to find out what happened I want to find out what happened to your to your mother And but I did promise him I did promise him that I would work as hard as I could and I did promise him that I wouldn't give up and I'm not going to Yeah of course there is absolutely zero evidence in any way shape or form to implicate Ian Bailey and he's been through many event investigations and guard inquiries and answered questions after questions after questions and remains properly and rightly so an, an innocent man but but you've been calling each other out of late like um, uh, he's been calling you names and you've asked him to engage in a live one-on-one debate with you and also I believe to take a lie detector test uh, am I right there? Well I'm, 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 le- I'm less concerned about the lie detector test but, I, but I, I've certainly asked him and I've also asked his, his lawyer for the possibility of a one-on-one debate and he, he keeps what he keeps saying is he keeps referring me to the DPP report from 2001 it's fairly obvious. It's very obvious to anybody that um, you know a lot of water has passed under the bridge since then. There were problems with that report that perhaps aren't worth going into now. Mm. But 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 it's 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 clear enough to everybody that with this relaunched investigation on the part of the Garda Shahana, there'll be a new set of evidence with all that new stuff, Neil, that's on the table now, which is absolutely significant. And it's that new case which is going to be put before uh, put before the the DPP. And they're going to be able to. Uh, um, they're going to be able. They're going to be invited to uh, take a position on that. So, you know, referring me to a 2001 document, saying, "Oh, you know, he, you know," the number of times he said to me that the DPP analysis exonerated him. I mean, honestly, if I had a pound for each time he said that to me, you and I could go out for a you know slap up meal tonight. I mean, yeah. it was it was over and over and over again. That DPP report was manna to heaven, manna from heaven for for for, for Ian Bailey. Um, why he won't well, only because face it, to face. only because it exonerated him from a crime, a crime that he said he never committed. But you know, I mean, well, he's not here to defend well, himself. Well, no, it didn't exonerate him. It did not, uh, with respect, it didn't res- exonerate him. What it what it what it did was, as what the, the DPP is tasked to do in Ireland, was that it backed up a, a decision not to not to bring charges at that point. That's what it did. Yeah. It's a it's a court of law that exonerates that finds that finds not guilty. It's not it's not the DPP. And so I think that that's an important, that's, that's clearly um, an important point. But coming back to the, to my challenge to Mr. Bailey for for um, Live debate. A, a, a debate one to one, you know, televised debate. Um, 
I stand by. I'm absolutely ready to, to for it. I, I hope that he accepts. I've offered two thousand five hundred euro to uh, Women's Aid Ireland if he accepts. If he wants to choose another charity, if that one doesn't appeal to him for whatever reason, happy to go with another charity. But I, I put the money on the table, two thousand five hundred euros. Um, I, I want to do the debate. I'm looking forward to it. I want to bring out. He says. Uh, I think he even may have said to you that there's, quote, no actual evidence against me. That's what he said. The so, and, so-called like, confessions were put down to black humour. Uh, Marie Farrell recanted all of her original evidence, so that can't be taken seriously. Uh, some of the people who did go to the well, so are, now, are now dead. Yeah, yeah. No? Look, look, I wouldn't suggest anybody takes Marie Farrell's evidence seriously in terms of a new tri- in terms of a trial. As far as the confessions are concerned, that's just a point of view, right? The DPP never spoke to... Nobody at the DPP's office... And there's no reason why they should, by the way. Nobody at the DPP's office back in 99, 2000, 2001 ever spoke with Mr. Bailey. Uh, I'm, for what it's worth, I don't remember any black humor from him the times I spoke with him. Uh, and, and, and it, it, you know, there you have the DPP saying, oh, well, it's black humor. And you've got the French saying they're real confessions. You know why? Because words have meanings. Yeah? Mr. Bailey's a poet. He's a writer. You know, he, above all, should know that. So but, you, um, so you, you, you believe like the guy have always said in many unsolved cases that the public know and somebody has information somewhere. Do you believe that ultimately it will be West Cork itself and the people living there now and at the time will be the ones that will solve this? Well, yes. I mean, I mean, with the with the with the footnote, let's say, or the 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 the, the other evidence which I or the tip off which I received in September, which and I've that. been. Yeah. working hard on. I mean, there's, there's that as well. We, we can we can park that to one side. But for the rest of your question, yeah, yeah, Neil, you're, you're absolutely right. It's people in West Cork who are resisting intimidation. You know, they're learning to lose their fear. They're finding their voices and they're speaking to Gardaí, hoping that the guards take what they're saying absolutely seriously. They act on it swiftly and in a, in a determined fashion. Sure, they will. And I believe we're going to see uh, a resolution to this case. I'm, I'm very, very, very optimistic that we will in what kind of time uh, scale finally you're not talking about it soon are you talking about next year or can you put a date on it i can't put a date on it because it's up to the gods what i can what i can you know and it's up to the dpp but it, but what i can say is i'm aware of what evidence exists and i believe the evidence that 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 they have already uh, and perhaps they have you know even more but i, I could talk about what i know is absolutely significant and should certainly lead to an arrest or, or more plural wow. arrests being made. Wow. I'm of that firm opinion and I'm, you know, very, very, very optimistic and I want to reassure people in West Cork this is a terrible, terrible stain on your landscape. You've acted in a, you know, fabulously civic way. You've done everything. I mean, you've shown so much love to Sophie's family. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely plain. What's probably needed now is just for, perhaps as you're, as you're saying, I mean, a few more people to come forward, I know the guards have asked for that, and I think then uh, West Cork can be can be delivered from this nightmare. Thank you so much for taking the time, Nick Foster, author of Murder at Roaring Water Bay. Perhaps we'll have an opportunity to talk again in the new year, but thank you for now. Appreciate it. Hope so. All right. Thanks, Neil. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM.
Yes, indeed. You're free to text as always. Uh, text 0868104106, particularly if you have uh, an opinion or something you'd like to contribute to my chat with uh, uh, Nick Foster, who wrote the book uh, Murder at Roaring Water. And I see the text coming in already. So text 0868104106 on that. In other business this morning, I know there's been confusion and I'm getting texts and I got an email as well from a chap who went down for his booster shot. He said, just back from City Hall, where we were not allowed in for the COVID booster shot, even though the HSE website said people aged up to 69 were eligible for the booster shot. We queued up for two hours yesterday and left when the queue wasn't even moving. There was no queue this morning incidentally, but they told us only HSE people were being allowed in. So Seamus, you and many other like you. Yet more confusion. People there and today it was only for healthcare. Do you remember the chap who says that um, he uh, is going to get a fine and penalty points for allegedly using his uh, mobile phone while driving when he wasn't and categorically states that he just was not? He was wondering as to whether people had an opinion as to whether he should pay it or go to court. So some texts on that. You had a person on your show a while back, remember, regarding a similar case about uh, phone use in a car? And that person went all the way to court because he was adamant that he was not on the phone. Um, how he, they got his phone. He got it, Actually, he got his phone company to produce records, which proved that he could not have been on the phone at the time. The time entered on the summons in relation to his phone use did not show on his phone records. The judge found in this guy's favour and actually issued the guardie with a sharp rebuke. Can't go on air heading to the city. Well, Sean, thank you for that, for recalling me uh, or my recollection to that story on air some years back. So... I mean, if you categorically believe that you're being wronged, of course you could go to court. But you have to be 100% sure, you know, that you are in the right. What guard of evidence have they? Is there a photograph? You know, but if you're absolutely 100% sure, uh, yeah, absolutely. But then you're down to the guard's word and your word and who the, guard, the judge is going to believe. But I don't know. It's like, you know, anybody that goes into court has to go into court the knowledge that you could lose. Uh, no point in leaving a go to court. You won't win. It's the guard's word against yours. Who is the judge going to believe? I'll let you guess. Pay the fine, accept it. It's a hard pill to swallow, but nothing you can do. That's just my opinion, says another texter. But there's another. Do not pay anything for driving on the phone. If you do, you accept the charges. Tell that person to appeal. If they win, everyone who appeals... Uh, with good reason, will also win. And a final one, get the time you were stopped and get a photo company to check where you are. How are you going to do that? I mean, that's not possible. It's not, not as if there's drones in the sky taking photographs and video footage of every single one of us. Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868 104 106. But with regards to scams, and we were talking a lot about this, and of course we had the permanent TSP incident on the air there on the back end of last week and thankfully that got resolved and the permanent TSP are paying the money back to single mother of three who was absolutely cleaned out. I came across, um, and I don't know whether this has happened here, it certainly is happening in the UK. Now you can say when I tell you this story that they are the most naive couple on the planet, but it happened and it made the financial pages you know, you have these um, uh, a lot of the time there are agony uncles and agony aunts, but then you have consumer champions who fight the case of somebody who's been wronged, and in the Telegraph on a Saturday, um, you can read those stories, and I came across one now, this is the story in a nutshell, right, I'm not going to go into the full detail of it because it's too long, but the ruse usually, and this happened, okay and it led to 36,500 pounds being taken out of... Uh, actually, they took it, the money out themselves, would you believe? And I'll explain why in a minute. 36,500. Um, these scammers posed as members of the, 
the police. And the bank then, Barclays, refused to repay a single penny of the £36,500. But how did it happen? Well, it was an elderly couple. It was a, it was a very cowardly fraud. They say it's been sweeping the country and others are doing it. They're crooks who pose as police officers. And they ask the victims to cooperate. They say that they're engaged in an important investigation, but what they're actually doing is plotting a way to steal your cash. So it usually involves the fraudsters asking for help in gathering evidence to say, for instance, in this case, it was to arrest a rogue employee of a bank. And the victim is asked to withdraw money from their account as part of the investigation in order to help trap the suspect in the bank. And all the while, of course, the scammer says, you must keep silent so you don't risk the police operation failing. Now, you're probably rolling your eyes to heaven saying, how could anybody be so naive? But unfortunately, people are. But the trauma began when the husband was phoned out of the blue, allegedly by a detective inspector, Terry Stevens of Scotland Yard, a phone call, warning him that someone had tried to make a 700 euro purchase with a cloned version of his Barclay card in a London branch of Argos, right? So this fakester pretends to be a detective inspector from Scotland Yard on the phone. And the policeman told him uh, not to worry as they had prevented the fraud and that someone had been arrested as a result. He even told this gentleman to dial 999 to speak to another officer who would explain what he needed to do. So the gentleman dialed the number 999 and got onto a Sergeant Lewis, in inverted commas, who told him to go to his branch and move his money as it wasn't safe because there was a mole working within the bank and they were trying to catch the mole. So anyway, the conversation went on. He was instructed to withdraw €6,500 in cash and to tell the cashier that it was to pay for a family funeral. So this Sergeant Lewis then told him to keep his mobile phone on the whole time so that the sergeant could track what was going on and hear the conversation, all right? So later on then, this individual, this gentleman, was then asked to read out the serial numbers on the banknotes he had withdrawn. And then to, this is all part of the ruse, right? The trick to make people feel safe and secure and the knowledge that they were dealing with the police. And then he was told to wrap the money, the cash, in bubble wrap. And an hour later then, a courier in a face mask and a bandana arrived and took away the package. There was a pre-arranged uh, password. The password was Runner Bean. So when the courier arrived, he had the password that he was given by the police, and the poor misfortunate man gave the money, and off your man went for the six and a half grand. But anyway, so then the policeman phoned the gentleman numerous times over the following days and warned him to tell no one about the operation. Uh, and this scammer, this fraudster, claimed that the cash had been counterfeit money uh, and that they had arrested somebody arrested somebody at Barclays Bank as a result, right? So you think that that's the end of it, but it's not. So the sting continued like that for several days. And then this gentleman was then asked uh, to use £30,000 in his bank account to buy gold bullion. The explanation given then was that the gold company was also under suspicion. I know, you're rolling your eyes to heaven saying, for God's sake, man, will you stop? But this happened. So they said that they are the police again and they're investigating a gold company. This time, it was the wife who was instructed on two separate occasions to order gold ingots from a genuine company called UK, UK Bullion. Um, and she did. And the husband made the payments by bank transfer at 
you guessed it, Barclays Bank. Then the gold bars arrived at their home and he wrapped those up like he did with the banknotes and the packages were collected again by the same masked courier who took away 30 grand's worth of gold bullion. If you thought that was the end of it, it wasn't. Uh, The crooks then got greedier and they demanded that his wife withdraw 15 grand from her Barclays account. And it was only at that point that uh, the bank noticed that something was wrong. When the couple arrived to collect the 15 grand, the cashier asked the wife, what's it for? And at this point, she broke down in tears and she explained the whole chain of events, how they were working with the guard, with the police, etc., etc., etc. And it was only then that her husband realized that he had been a victim of this terrible scam to the value of €36,500. They never got the money back. The scammers legged it with all of the cash and the thirty grand in gold. Apparently, they like gold, apparently, because it's, um, you know, not traceable. Certainly, it doesn't have any serial numbers on it, and it's easier to shift. And in case you're wondering about the 999, the way they did that was they told him to hang up the phone. Remember earlier in my conversation, hang up, dial 999, uh, and we will verify this call. He did hang up his phone, and he did dial 999, but of course, the scammers never hung up. They were always on the phone. So in spite of this elderly man dialing 999, thinking that he was getting on to the guard or the police, he was never disconnected from the scammers. So that's how that happened. Um, now, the bank refused to pay it back. The Saturday Telegraph intervened and they have refunded the money because they said they said there should have been more warnings given by the bank and more questions asked. But if that's not one of the more bizarre scams that have come across in a long time, um, I don't know what is. And I'm sure you'd agree, but it happens. Of that you can be sure. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Just back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. With a very very special birthday request this side of the news. It's a happy happy ninetieth birthday to Margaret Murphy at Dylan's Cross. She lives in Dylan's Cross and she listens to the show every day when she wakes and is a huge fan. So the family tell me. So lots of love from your five kids, your grandkids, your three grandchildren and they all love you very very much. So happy birthday Margaret today. 90 years old today. Hope you have a wonderful wonderful day and a great Christmas and have chosen a very special Christmas song for you. You'll know it. More your years. You'll know this old crooner Nat King Cole. That's a cracker. Happy birthday to you, Margaret. Hope you enjoyed that song. Have a great day. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! That's what I'm talking about. When you hear that again, and you will sometime between now and midday, callers 10, 11 and 12 will win overnight stays for two at the luxury Georgian Old Bank Townhouse in Kinsale. Midweek stays down at the Georgian Old Bank Townhouse, courtesy of ourselves in the Blue Haven Collection. So you're listening out for that cue to call. Callers 10, 11 and 12 on one 106 Tomorrow it's 100 euro vouchers, three prizes every day this week for the Blue Haven Collection.
action. And on Thursday, overnight stays at the Blue Haven Hotel itself in Kinsale. And on Friday, uh, a bottomless brunch for six people to enjoy the sheltered wall garden amongst the suburban style of Vicky's in Sundays. Well, now they do super food there, but they specialize in brunch and in bottomless brunches. And a nice way to get there, particularly if you're having a jar, uh, would be to walk through Fitzgerald's Park and up the shaky, over the shaky bridge and up into Sunday as well and away you go and you'll enjoy it. So they're the prizes this week, uh, notwithstanding today. It's Kinsale, the Georgian old bank townhouse when you hear old Santa Claus do his thing. This is it. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Pick up the phone, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Now, back to the phone lines we go. My apologies, I didn't get to talk to Sean before 11 o'clock, so I want to make that right now. He's only just back, actually, in Tenerife. Uh, Sean was home for a fortnight, a week, I think, actually, back on, back on Leaside. Morning, Sean. The great Sean Wren. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly. And did Sue come back with you as well? Oh, of course, yes. Um, yes, we, we, we just went for the week, Neil. Uh, because of we would love to have stayed longer, but because of COVID, COVID rules, that yeah. COVID ruins, and uh, it, it, it was just a flying visit because we felt that if we don't go now, restrictions in Ireland are coming out, and we might never see our children again. You, know, you like, believe it, it, so that there's more to come, do you? Or are you just worried that it might well, happen? Well, listening to the news and every well, I tell you the truth, like somebody else this morning, I rarely listen to the news now but you have to you can't avoid it let's say I do I think I think maybe maybe not lockdown but restrictions yeah and yeah. we've had restrictions for two years Neil and come on yeah you know I don't think I could live in Cork with with the weather and with the restrictions and not not, not knowing the future and just for instance um, we were to fly out uh, on the Friday now we we've because of Cork Airport being closed for so long and the coming up to Christmas, I knew it was opening on the 20, the airport was opening on the 22nd of November, so I decided I would book, book well in advance because I felt that there would be an influx of, of people who want to go home. Yeah. So I, I, I booked two months in advance and I paid €540 Euro for our flight, which was okay. Now that included suitcases because Susan wanted to bring back stuff, yeah. everything except the, the kitchen sink. <laughs> So we paid four hundred, five hundred and forty, and foolishly, and I shouldn't have done it. Two weeks before we left to go to Ireland, I checked the flights, and I could have got it for two hundred and forty. Oh, for the two of your return? Yes, oh, now that's three hundred euro of a difference. Now I would, I would have got over a hundred euro, I but three hundred euro is really pushing it. I know. Then, then on the Tuesday, we were to go on the Friday. The government, Irish government, decided that regardless of vaccination status. Everyone coming into the country had to have an antigen test or a PCR. So, yeah. yeah, well, with uh, with vaccinations, I think it was antigen. Anyway, off we went, booked our antigen test, got it, paid for it, and lo and behold, on the Thursday morning, we were due, due to go on the Friday. The government in Ireland decided they weren't ready, and we didn't have to have the antigen test until the Sunday. <laughs> so, so that between between my three hundred euro. And my 70 euro, before we put our foot in cork, we, we were down 370 I know, euro. I know, I know, I know. And I, as, I, as, as well as that, we, it was within, in uh, trepidation that, that I was going to cork because if, if listening, no, not just to you, no, but, but listening to your program and looking at videos on, on, on YouTube and all these things, uh, cork was portrayed for a long time as a place which, which was unsafe. There were street brawls. 
There were stabbings. Taxi drivers were being stabbed and robbed by the new time. There, there was a whole lot of, of murders. That, and you'd say, of oh, people going around like zombies and, and syringes flying from <laughs> out of the sky. You're summing up a lot of the stories we've dealt with over the last couple of years, yeah. I, I know, but Neil, there were good stories as well. But, but the bad ones really stick. Particularly when, when, when you're going to visit a place that you were born and raised in that mm. you always felt very, very safe mm. in. Mm. Now, I was born and raised in 32 South Mall over the Bank of Ireland. So I was a city kid and I, I, was, I was streetwise at a very early age. Mm. And I have never, ever been afraid of my city. Never. But being away and not being there, for, I know no, it's only two years, but not being there and hearing this and being 73 years of age, you, you do get afraid. Yeah, yeah. you came you back with get... some trepidation. But I, how, I, how was the visit then? Well, I didn't see any of the above, the aforementioned, it, it was, except for the weather, it was nice. But I, do, I did notice a change in people. Okay. I, 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 particularly, uh, no, 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 not everyone in the shops, the assistants. But I, I came across, well, I can remember, two quite rude assistants. And again, on your program, I remember listening that people were talking about shop assistants and then the shop assistants came back and said it was the customers yeah, rude. that's right. And, and I can well imagine people are sick to death of it. There was, everyone is sick to death, to, to death of COVID restrictions and wearing masks. And but I, give you, I give you an instance. I went to a shopping centre and I needed to, uh, Susan had a very bad cough and I needed to buy a cough mixture. Now, we, I got a cough mixture here called Flumacil, which was very, very good. And I, I wondered, would they have it in this chemist? So I went into the chemist and uh, this assistant... You know, I, I would be very much an eye to eye contact person. Mm. Masks now, you have no other choice for doing so. But I knew as soon as I was approaching, I said, Good morning. So she said, Yeah. Like, Yeah, what do you want? In other words. So I said, Do you have flumicil? What? I said, Do you have flumicil? What's that? I said, No, I decided, okay. I said, It's a cough bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of stepped back and I could see her eyes. She was saying, who does he think he's talking to? Oh, not realized, no. Well, I mean, she, realized she, yeah. that she had just spoken to me like that. Yeah. So then I decided that I would break the ice and I said to her, between the perspex screen and the mask, I suppose, you know, you, you really feel you need to shout to the customers. <laughs> so so she, I was covering my tracks. So she said, uh, tell, me, tell me about it, boy. <laughs> and, and then, and then she, she, she was very nice. You know, but, but it, it was... The immediate reaction, like, you know... She's yeah. probably fed up with trying to communicate and hear what people are saying through a mask and a perspex screen uh, in front a, of her. That's, you know, that's, a, that's exactly what I said, and that's why I decided to, to break the ice yeah. and, and kind of make an excuse for it. But of course, but there was still no need for her to speak to me like that. And then there was another instance with another rude person in a restaurant. We, we went in, I wasn't familiar with this restaurant, in a shopping centre as well, and we were kind of looking for our bearings and a voice from behind the Show me your COVID starts there. <laughs> <laughs> I turned around and again, it was a lady. So I, I got her on my phone and I was, to tell you the truth, she didn't take my phone in her hand. She just looked, okay, uh, go, go to the queue there. You're a so customer I, like with money in your pocket. Like, exactly. You're not, you're not queuing up for a free service. like. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was looking, I, I kind of said, where's the queue? And Susan had already taken a seat. So I said, because sometimes I don't see something that might be in front of me, but Susan will always find it. I said, Susan, where's the queue? Susan said, what queue? I said, I said she told me to get into the queue. So with that, somebody behind the cash desk, I'll take that there from it, she said. What, what, what do you want? There was no queue. But this person was in bad form, 
They won outside walking around collecting. She was in bad form. She was on robot uh, mode and she was just... They've had, two, they've had two years of this, though. I mean, you probably have been following the stories way back along. I don't know whether it's still going on. The abuse that staff were taking from customers, particularly in supermarkets, or people that were just, you know, people on the door of supermarkets trying to make sure that not, there wasn't a crowd going in or that, you know, trying to control numbers and stuff. They got awful abuse, called names, spat at, pushed, things thrown at them. I fully understand that, but I wasn't rude. No, I know, but and, I'm just and, saying... I, I, let's say I can be rude. Yeah. If I'm rude, if, if if somebody's rude to me, but I wasn't rude, and I I felt we're all sick of it. But the customer, at the end of the day, is is the person who keeps the premises open. Yeah, yeah. And another thing, I tried to book um, for restaurants, and no, that's another chore. You're put up, you're put on an answering service, and then three restaurants were closed uh, that I tried were closed on Monday, Tuesday. And then we just had Wednesday. Then we had. Um, they can't Paris. get staff. A lot of them. That's the I problem. Know. They just know, can't get people to work. And yes. uh, maybe maybe, maybe they're the quieter days of the week, the Monday and the Tuesday, that they sacrifice for that. I know. You know? I, I, I understand that as well. But as I said, we, we are... Like when it, it rains be, here, everything changes. Retail changes completely. I suppose you don't experience that in the sunshine of Tenerife. Monday's like a Friday, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and let's say, talking about rain, I'll, I'll tell you about that now too. One thing that I must, um, that I would really uh, recommend is park and ride. And it's free. It's, uh, I, I took the park and ride from um, the Black Ash yeah. right into town and, yeah. and it's free and the bus driver was very nice to say good morning. He said, when I said thank you, he said goodbye. And then when I, when I got off in, in, in Patrick Street and the heavens just opened. It was Monday. And normally I would run away from the rain, but I haven't had the, been soaked in the rain for two years. So I decided, you know, I'm going to just continue walking in torrential rain. And as I passed Debenhams, which I knew was Rochester stores, and so it's all closed up. Yeah. You know, it made me kind of sad. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And, no. and, and then um, I passed Cashers, and I was listening to that blind lady this morning in the programme, and uh, she was talking about how your imagination and your mind's eye can see things. And let's say as I passed Cashers, I could see it as Cashers, and then I crossed the road and I could see Cudmores of long ago. Yeah. With all the, with all the beautifully displayed fruit on, on their uh, window. That's right. And then I walked by, and um, there was Fitzgeralds, which is still there, and then Pennies became the Monster Arcade, which was a lovely big shop. And I remember going to Santa Claus in there and going up in the lift with the man with the uh, the. The uh, the lift man will call him. But you and went the, to Santa Claus in um, the, the Monster, Monster Arcade. Arcade. They did they have um, was it the Monster Arcade or Cash's had the had the films the little movies on the reels. Monster Arcade was it? Monster yeah, Arcade, I remember yes. those the kids. Yeah. I, I remember that and going up in the lift and it was such a thing. And then I also remember if my mother was buying something in Monster Arcade and the cashier would put the money into like a tin and put it into a tube and it's shoot. shooting up, right. shooting up into right. into the sky. That, that, all, all on all, wires. Yes, and um, then I was past the, the what was the Victoria Hotel, and then the Independent Office. Do you remember the Independent That's Office? That's right, the Independent Office. With all the photographs. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, 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 it reminded me of present-day Facebook, where you could look at the photographs and you see current happenings of weddings and, and matches and yeah. people scoring Of course, all of those streets were all your playground if you lived at 30, grew up at 32 South Mall. They, they were, they were. Yeah. And then there was the early... Were you, over, were you over a bank or what was Bank it? of Ireland. Bank of Ireland surgery. We were caretakers with Bank of Ireland. Get away, really? Yeah. Yeah. And so, as I said, I... I were was there many people living on the Mall then? No. No. And, that, and that, you, you know, Neil, for years and years, um, when I grew up, I hated Sundays. 
and ba- I hated bank holidays because as a child everything closed down yeah. and the streets were deserted. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I just always dreaded uh, bank holidays and Sundays. The hustle and bustle would go. So your visit then when you were, did you, did you sit, do you, would you say that there was, was lacking courtesy, was it? I know. Oh God, no. No? No, but, <laughs> because I'm bilabel, if I'd meet a rude person, I'd be equally as rude. No, no, but I was surprised. Yeah. You didn't think the, the place had got shabby or anything? You, you know, you're I referencing. Thought, I thought the closed down shops in Patrick Street, I thought, I found that, uh, I wouldn't say shabby, but I found it sad to yeah. see all these. And then I, I went through the English market, and that, tell you the truth, now, the English market was busier than Patrick Street. And, the, and, and do you know something? Oliver Plunkett Street is a gem, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. It's unbelievable. It's just the most beautiful, and beautiful street. A, a, another memory of my childhood, well, let's say the English market. Um, with, in those days, there were no freezers or cold storage. And all the carcasses would be hanging up at night. And there were cats all over the place, sharpening their claws on the carcasses, running up and down the carcasses. For God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's a uh, wonder we, we weren't told, all killed and poisoned. I, but that's our, our Jesus, that's always fantastic immune systems. And we were told that the cats were there to uh, keep the rats away. <laughs> the rats away. The, <laughs> the better of two evils, I suppose. I mean, you could be right in some regards, like because like people would, you know, they're a bit shell shocked after the last twenty months or something. Even, even Seamus, who was out doing audio yesterday for the program, he was in the city, and he said people were an awful lot more reserved and not their yeah. usual chatty Corkonians ahead of Christmas so he actually left the city and, and went to chat to people in the suburbs and a couple of satellite yeah. he just finds that it's impacting there, people a lot more you know oh yeah, oh yeah. There, there is something there is something definitely after affecting people and Neil as I said at the opening of my chat with you I couldn't live there I, I would be dead I could not live there I, I, I felt for the, for the few days I was there I felt my age the weather was getting me down the city was closed down on, on Wednesday because of Barrow which never happened really yeah, yeah, but I, know. It, it, mm. I know it happened in the county and, yeah. and in, in Bantry and those places but the city could, could have could have remained open so but the town you loved so well is a changed town then or is uh, it that life is much better and the weather is better and you're retired in the sunshine well I, I always loved my work and uh, you know I would still work if I could work but it, it it's just being out of it for two, I was never out of it for that length of time. Yeah. We've always gone home maybe two or three times in the year, definitely once a year. Yeah. And I think uh, it was too short for me to acclimatise to it. And another thing, Neil, we were ghosted by a few people. What's <laughs> that about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, friends that we, we, we would be in contact with and, uh, you know, hope you're doing well. And then, oh, we'll be, oh, oh, that's great. That's great. And, um, there was nothing. There was nothing. And I... Do you try I, to I, hook up? I wonder, are people apprehensive to meet, particularly of an older generation, I, maybe? I, yes, exactly. And they might I, be I, too I, embarrassed to say. And, and you see, I, I, I know it was... God, he knows. No, they would bring it back. They're living, they're living almost in, in Africa. I know, it's a terrible fear, you know. They're only across the, across the water from North Africa. Yeah. We'll, uh, what will we say? And all they would have to say to us, look... Tell you the truth, Sean and Susan, I really feel very, very nervous. And no offence. And of course, I know that's why. I know, because we were sitting in the departure lounge, waiting to board the plane back to Tenerife, when my phone went, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Hope we had a lovely time. Gone mad if we didn't meet up. 
Sean, you saw through all of that. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I'm around too long now. I know. My I big know, eyes. I know, I know. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I can't do anything about the weather. You know, it just that's just the way it is here. It is, no. It's still lovely. It's Cork, Cork, Cork is still home. And if I was there for another week, I would have fallen into the, the swing of things. But let's say I had to go to the bank for something. And I, I, was, I wasn't physically in an Irish bank for, again, no, a long time. And the idea of, like, pressing a bell and then you're in between two doors, then you press another bell and the door opens. And your foot is on stood inside in the main hall when you're approached. Hi, can I help you? Yeah. It's, I know now it's being helpful, but I didn't get a chance to breathe. I felt I was inside in someone's front room. Yeah. Like, what, what, what are you doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> is it not that way over? In Tenerife, no? Is it much more calm, relaxed and just... You see, it, it, of course, it's the sunshine. And people here are, are really very, very huggy and kissy-huggy, you know. <laughs> and I, I was always a kissy-huggy person. I, I was a very tactile person. Yeah. And another thing, I, I met somebody that I knew and I, I, I touched it, it, the snows, a lady as well. She was holding an umbrella and I touched her hand and she immediately flinched away from me. There's, it. Oh God. There's an example oh God, of it, you see. That's the fear. And yeah. because they're hearing messages all of the time and probably the right ones if they feel that they might get sick or get very unwell. People, and, people are scared. And they're scared. scared. Yeah. And particular people of my vintage, I know, I know people are scared and I accept it. And it came to the stage that even let's say, a very, very good friend, when we were good friends, we were going to dinner and I said, can I hug you? And I said, well, of course, but we always hug each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Having to say, can I hug you? It's, it's, it's like, uh, because I, I, I see absolutely no significance in touching one's uh, um, knuckles or touching one's elbow because, let's face it, we never kind of really shook hands with people. So I don't know will people ever shake hands again. Probably better off to fist pump for now anyway, you know? Or just say hello. Yeah, I know. I'd say I, just know say hello. I know. Well, I'm glad, anyway. that, I'm glad that I got to say hello. I didn't know you were back. Um, you know, Hang well, on to the hang on to the happy memories and forget about all the rest of it. Certainly, the weather. Not, Neil, this is not a, a, a more than a minute. No, no. It, it, this, this was just in, in relation to things that you. Oh yeah, taxi drivers. Uh, we we had I think it was a five or six taxi drivers, and um, four of those were non-nationals, and they were perfect, perfect gentlemen. Yeah. And the the two cork chaps were really very, very nice and very, very friendly and you can't beat Cork. You can't beat Cork taxi drivers no, of all nationalities, no. in fairness. No, no, I, I must say they, they, were, they were... And you dropped a few bob back home, which is good. We appreciate it. Come here. Dropped a few bob. <laughs> Talking about rip-off. <laughs> rip-off Ireland. I, we, we said to each other, you know, we couldn't be living the life we're living if we were living here. It, it, would, be, it would be one night a week out and that's that. I know. You know, we, we we can go out two, three, four, five, five nights a week. Everything is you can actually divide it by two. Everything's half the price. I'll be on the I'll but, be on the first plane out in the new year. You can show me all the sites. I'm really looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> I um I just I I understand all because when I worked here, I worked here for uh, was four euro an hour. So everything is relevant. It is everything is relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. But I, it I, is. It's, it's one of the best decisions. I would I would advise anybody over of a pensional age if if they're if they're fed up, just even take a month in the, a month in the sun in Tenerife. And I remember when when we told people, clients and friends, that we were coming here permanently. What? And what about your grandchildren? Well, I couldn't do that. But listen to me, they're not our children. <laughs> we've we've reared our children. <laughs> maybe maybe there. an idea is to try. A, maybe people should try a trial run, as you say, That's for a month. A month. Yeah. A month. Yeah. A month. And and uh, even get a month of sunshine into them. But an awful lot, an awful lot of people are afraid of hurting others and, and we've only got one life 
and we have to live that life Good as stuff. we think best. If well it's said. babysitting, if it's walking down the marina, if it, no matter what it is, do what you want to do and don't worry about others. All right. Okay. Well, it, listen. It, I don't worry about people and, and I... I I was very lucky in every respect. All right. In every respect. Okay. Well, you sound very, very, very grateful for what you have. Um, I, good. I, the people of Cork gave us what we have. Okay, we gave a service and we had, we had a fun time and we were always very welcoming to people. And that's why I find rude people, particularly, okay, the customer might be gone out the door and say, fuck, well, what a bitch. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> would not give that impression to their face. Certainly yeah. not in Sean and Sue's down through the years. Happy Christmas to you, Sean, and to I Sue as well. I assume you, that I, you'll be... I mean, in spite of the heat, will there be turkey and ham? Do you bring back a bit of spiced beef with you? No, we, we, as a matter of fact, a friend made a lovely... Uh, she does it every year, Christmas cake and uh, Christmas pudding. So that's as much as uh, we... Because you get turkey here, yes. Um, and Neil, if ever you're in ten Reeves, gives a shout. All right, we, my we, man, stay in touch. We'll chat again in the new that. year. And anyway, I'm never without you. As I said to you before, you're in my bed, you're in my bath. <laughs> I don't know what Sue thinks about that, but she's happy to share, I'm sure. <laughs> I, she, 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 she's in there with me too. No, no, maybe not the bath, but, right. but, but certainly the bed. All right, my man, look after yourself, Sean, as I always. Uh, I'm going to give you the privilege, actually. You're a very lucky man, very spoiled man. So for you, the first outing of my favourite Christmas song of all. And of course, it has travel involved in it, like Sean and Sue coming back from... Uh, Tenerife for a week and then back to the sun again. That's a cracker. Chris Ria's driving home for Christmas uh, for Sean and Sue. Happy Christmas to all. Uh, Lines open at 1850 104 106. Here's a Christmas classic with Maham Point Shopping Centre. Over 60 stores, including the newly opened Sports Direct. Can you warn your listeners, there's a woman pretending to be deaf, begging in town. She's targeting school kids and older people. She's very pushy. She's conning them into giving her money. When people realise what's going on, she won't give the money back. She had a load of 20 euros notes yesterday. My son and his friend's money was added to her stash. They tried to get the money back off her, but to no avail. So I pass that on as a warning. Regarding my conversation with Nick Foster, the author of Murder at Roaring Water, well done, Neil. Get a fella on the air to say he's got something we should hear about, but can't say it. It's incredible. Uh, Another one here. Can you not see this guy is just selling his book? Uh, This is a waste of time. It's a hack trying to sell a book. Cut him off. This guy is full of it. No facts. All bull looking for publicity and you're worse to be talking to him. Can I just say... Um, I think that's rather unkind. You're, in, you're entitled to your opinion and your comment, and thank you so much for listening. Um, and I do appreciate it. But um, like th- he did write a book, um, and th- read the read the book perhaps, and then make up your mind. Uh, I think that many authors write books, and they write them not with money in mind because you don't make money writing books. Uh, but let's let's see what he has. He says he has evidence that he's given to the to Plantier family. Um, let's see. Uh, where that goes, if the evidence he has given to them will lead to a breakthrough. It certainly is an update. And what's wrong with somebody talking about their book? I mean, he wrote it, he researched it, he put the work into it. That's just my own thoughts on it. Uh, Morning, regarding the Sophie case, to this day, I can't make out at Christmas when people go home to spend time with their families all over the world why she would choose to travel to one of the most remote parts of Ireland. Uh, for a family that claims to be the French version of the Waltons, it just doesn't make any sense to me, uh, says Anthony. I think she loved West Cork and had planned on 
um, you know, buying a house either here. I think she was looking at another house in Connemara for a while and then chose the West Cork house. And a lot of people hate Christmas and they love their own company as well. But your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. Let's see what, um, let's see what that evidence is that he's brought to the uh, De Plantier family that he claims was missed and was hiding in plain sight. I mean, I think that is an interesting update and he's put the work into it. But your thoughts are welcome as always. We'll have to wait and see what happens with uh, their senior detectives travelling down from West Cork. Is that just a box ticking exercise or really? Have they got an awful lot more information from the people of West Cork? I would be inclined to think they have an awful lot more information to work with. If I as an individual have been approached by somebody with what I think is very, very, very important information. I've encouraged that individual to go to the Gardaí with it. And that individual has told me that they will. I can't say any more of it than that because, but mind you, in, in the case of, you know, at least one person I've been speaking to with very important information, that person has told me that family members have told that person to stay well out of it. Um, so that's my tuppence worth for what it's worth. Back after the break, hang in there. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Okay, go back to the phone lines in a couple of seconds. Just maybe half a dozen texts. Uh, there's a video on Facebook, Neil, of a guy checking cars in Classes Lake at the weekend. I went out on Saturday morning and he was, uh, he was in mine. All he got was my company credit card and I've cancelled it. He got it. He wasn't there when you went out, but he had been in it overnight and took the credit card and stuff like that. I cancelled it. But if it had been three weeks ago, I'd have had my small fella's PlayStation 5 in the boot. Might be worthwhile to call out to people to make sure they lock their cars at night and absolutely leave nothing in them. You see what I mean? A lot of the time, the big present, not the one coming from Santa Claus now, because that's up in the North Pole, but the ones that you're getting, you leave them in the boot of the car. We've all done it in the past. You just can't anymore. Just listening to the girl Emma on the phone, whose car was burnt out. The same thing happened to me a few years ago. It took the car, they took the car and just burnt it. And the kids' car seats. My insurance didn't pay out. Just tell her, be ready for a battle with the insurance company. They'll use every excuse in the book not to pay out. Morning. The antics that go on with teenagers in that particular north side estate is unbelievable. We're residents within the new estate across the road. And whenever they come into our estate, they cause a lot of trouble. Our new estate still has work ongoing. And there's been more than one incident where these local teens have trespassed into the building site and began joyriding on the machinery. They start up the diggers along with other situations where expensive equipment equipment has just been stolen. How in the name of God did they get to start up the diggers? Like, there isn't a key in it. I mean, can you hotwire those kind of things? Trespassing on the building site. Um, the majority of this new estate the area you're referring to are young families and we were all thrilled to have our beautiful new homes. During Halloween, these teens came into our estate and destroyed people's decorations. They smashed all their pumpkins. They've been seen sitting on empty bungalow roofs and um, tantalizing a young girl who was working as security there in these empty bungalows uh, waiting to be allocated. You say tantalizing. I think it's harassing and tormenting. Anyway, she subsequently left her job. They steal young kids' scooters and bikes the list honestly goes on and on. But it's an amazing thing that they'll go all the way out to Waterfall, rob a brand new Dacia Duster, drive it all through the night, bring it back to where they live, are you saying? And they burn it in their own estate? Uh, we know that a lot of these teens are from the neighbouring Cushing estate and we see them often going in and out. And by the time the guards come, they all go running as if they have so many directions to go and they can always get away. It's as if they find it fun. Our young children, meanwhile, within the estate are all in fear of the teenagers when they arrive and a lot of the time they come home because they're taunted 
Our kids are only five and six years old and are afraid to go out to play. Uh, tell that lady a story about her lovely car being burnt out. Obviously, it's a really horrible thing uh, to, you know, people to do. But my issue is when people say the insurance will look after it. Please don't send out messages like this, Neil. The scumbags listen and they think that it's a green light to carry on robbing people. If you're listening to lads who do this kind of thing, you should... If you're listening to the lads who do this kind of thing, you should all be catapulted into outer space as far away from our decent people as possible. You're disgusting human beings and you ruin Christmas for people, says Noel, and so say all of us. Text 0868104106 to the lovely north side we go because the majority of people up there are good and lovely and they're beautiful communities. Unfortunately, like everywhere, the um, few spoil it for the most. But anyway, to Churchfield. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, girl. I'm good. Tell me about this racing pigeon. Oh, God, love it. Um, he smashed into my front room window yesterday afternoon. Bang. Um, no, I mean, it was a big bang, so he came full tilt at the window. Um, I just thought he was stunned, being honest, and I was saying I'd let him alone. Yeah. Um, but, like, literally, he didn't move, and he was there. Um, we brought him in at half eight last night and put him into the shed. My husband picked him up because I'm afraid of birds, so I won't go near him. I wonder his neck, is his neck broken? No, he's lively. He's turning his neck. He's, and he's coming looking, around, he's, is he's he? He's actually lively. Yeah. He's even lively last night. Yeah. He's lively. He's, he's, he's able to turn his neck right around. He just got, um, a, he got a bad bad case of concussion then. Full full belt into a window? Yeah. Full yeah. flight? Yeah. 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 Um, like, he won't, like, I have no food for him. I tried cereal and I tried bread. And he must be starving. Like, literally, I won't go near him because I'm afraid of birds. Are you? Why? So, but he's in the shed. Why are you afraid of birds? Food. You're afraid he might peck you or something, is it? No, do you know what? No, when I was, I was maybe both 19 and I went to London on a trip with girls and boys from work. And we went to Trafalgar Square and we were feeding the pigeons. But when they came down on top of me, their claws, and literally just, I wouldn't go near a bird. <laughs> I can understand that. That's where you got the fear from. You had a bad That's experience with the them. A flock of them came down upon you. Yeah. Yeah. It has stayed with me, but like, I mean, he must be starving. Like, I have a container of water outside and I put a bit of cereal, but he hasn't touched. Let me jump in there now for someone who's listening that knows about pigeons or racing pigeons. Is there anything yeah. in the house that they can be fed as opposed to bird seed I suppose it's some kind of bird seed they eat you don't have that handy but maybe somebody might know of something that might um, might perk them up that might be in the cupboard or the fridge or something is there um, you say a racing pigeon so is there a ring on his leg there is we were able to get a partial number it was 3322 and I put a photograph up on Facebook um, last night with the partial number yeah and I just gave my general area um, Churchfield. I bet you he's and not I, far from home, you know. I was hoping somebody would come back to me. Yeah, I'd say he's not far from home because there's a lot of uh, pigeon fanciers on the north side. So he's there is, there is, and but nobody has come back. And like he must be literally starving. And I have him in the shed at the moment because we have a lot of cats around. A lot oh, of cats right. well, you're being very kind. In fairness, to you. And tell me, is it a grey pigeon or a white pigeon? It's, he's kind of grey and bluish. Yeah, grey, blue, yeah, 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 yeah. Racing pigeon wings. belonged to somebody who had him out for a bit of exercise or yeah. he could have been coming back. He could be absolutely starving because he could be coming back from a race. That's what I mean. Like, and like what I've given him, he won't eat. I've tried even bread and he 
like it was just left there. All right. It's like I hear nothing. you. I hear I mean, you. he must be literally starving and it's breaking my heart. Cause I don't like birds, but it's breaking my heart because I'm an animal lover. Okay. Well, listen, I'll tell you two different things. Perhaps the person who's um, the owner of that pigeon is listening or may know of somebody who's missing one. They'll get in touch with me. Equally, perhaps there's somebody who's a pigeon fancier might be able to come and collect the pigeon for you and look after it until they can get the number. Yeah. And because if they can get the number, I'm sure the full number, they'll be able to trace the owner. Then, all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's get that out there. Either whoever owns the pigeon or someone who's a pigeon fancier near to you in Churchfield that could call over, look after him, and trace the owner through the number. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That'd be perfect. Right. Okay. Well, listen, I'll do that for you, Mary. Listen. Thanks for the call. Do you fancy um uh, uh, talking about being up in Churchfield? Do you fancy a turkey breast and maybe a half a ham and a bit of spiced beef? Oh, I would love it. I'm quite sure you would. So we have a turkey breast, half a ham and a spiced beef, courtesy of ourselves and McCarthy Family Butchers. The branch near you is Churchfield, so that's got you sorted. I'm quite, I'm, Thank you so much I'm, indeed. I'm quite sure you have a full turkey organised, but this is an extra, yeah? That's great. Thank you. My husband will be delighted with his spiced beef. <laughs> I love that. You know what? You can't beat a spiced beef sandwich. He probably knows no, that. No, With good old crusty, crusty cutty bread. Okay, I'll get your full address when we get off the air and we'll send that out to you, Mary, okay? Okay, and, that's great. Thank and you and so it's, just a, it's just a well done and a, a little gift for you being so kind to that pigeon, all right? Okay, thank you very much indeed. Thank all right, Mary. So take care. Nice. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. so you know the drill, guys. Maybe you own the pigeon or somebody that's missing it or you're a pigeon fancier that would be able to call over. Please text me. Text 086. Six eight one zero four one zero six, and we'll get that sorted because she's gone out of her way. Could you imagine? I mean, it happens. Like, do you ever look at people's houses now? They're being built because everybody wants more light, right, in their home, particularly southerly facing houses. That part of the house, so they put in huge windows, right, and then you got massive patio doors. You have big conservatories. I'm talking from experience. Big, huge glass panels, and the poor bird hasn't a clue that it's glass, and they go bang into it and collapse on the decking or on the garden or the path outside. It's happening more and more. It's, I'm not saying it's cruel in any way, shape or form. It's just a consequence of the way people are building their houses and wanting more light. But the birds don't like it, of that you can be sure. Okay, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I need to clear an ad break as we do and then come back. I want to update with the Briar Rose. There's a lot happening. And also, uh, I do this now actually, yeah? Let's do this now. You know the drill. Um, big prizes all this week, courtesy of ourselves and the Blue Haven Connection. So, ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Ah, thank you so much, Santi. Get dialing. Call us 10, 11 and 12. You know the drill. one 850 The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 104 Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! And our three winners. A voucher each for an overnight stay for two at the luxury Georgian Old Bank Townhouse in Kinsale goes to Mark Toomey from the South Douglas Road. Joe O'Mara from Meta Park in... Uh, and Brendan O'Mahony at Carrick Duff in Mallow. Congratulations, courtesy ourselves and the Blue Haven Collection. And tomorrow, it's three more winners of 100 euro vouchers each for the Blue Haven Collection. So you can spend them in any of the hotels, guest houses or restaurants. So that's on tomorrow's program. Now, just a final bit of business before I love you and leave you. The countdown continues at the Briar Rose. They're in great food there at the moment and the chef's on fire, Brian Clark. But on top of everything else, we're into the last week now, one week to go with the collection for the toy drive and I think Thursday night is the big fundraiser for Dell House and they've got a big quiz night on there and Darren Johnson's the jock there and he's a damn fine jock but the last push is on now uh, and Chef is back again just to update us on how things have been going so Chef, good morning Good morning Neil, how are you? Well done, so so far so good lots of toys coming in? 
Yeah, we've we've had a good collection of toys and uh, Tesco have been very good to me on tours. They're allowing me to come down and fill up a few trolleys with what I'm short. And they're also going to give me a few members of staff uh, to wrap all the presents on Monday for the big wrap. Great bunch of Tesco to be on board like that. Fantastic. So what have you? What are you getting? Like, are they all high quality items? Uh, everything is high quality. There's no uh, there's no cheap stuff coming in at all. Like you know, it's it's proper Santi presents. Like unbelievable. Uh, and it's the boys and girls in the likes of Edel House, the Women and Children's Refuge, will benefit from this. hundred percent. This is uh, this is going to make a lot of uh, happy, young, smiley faces Christmas morning. And you're um, also working on the, the, the Christmas dinners, I guess, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, we're doing the Christmas dinners, yeah. Uh, it's been a real community spirit. Like, uh, Ballymallow House got on to me, they're giving me the cranberry sauce. Brennan's Bread are giving me the breadcrumbs for the stuffing. <laughs> uh, CL Meats are giving me the meat. And Palace Foods are giving me the rest of the uh, potatoes, veg and sauces and all that kind of crap. How many will you feed? Uh, we're looking at 350 to 400. <laughs> On the day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's well, but, be but like it's been a real community push for the toy drive. Like Loftus Demolition gave me three hundred plus um, uh, selection boxes plus a load of toys from Smith. And um, it's like everybody, like my friends and uh, and uh, customers here to Bray Road. They've all gotten behind it. Great, so they have this year and made it that bit more special. You're going to have um, to come up. We'll, we'll talk again on Thursday, the day of the quiz night. But you're going to have to come up with a full list of thank yous at some stage, so you don't I leave know, anybody uh, out. Yeah, but, that, but, that's, but, but this is where you come in handy. Like uh, you've a lot of <laughs> listeners, and I can I can get it all kind of done through social media and yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that's why when I was on to uh, uh, there earlier on last month I just uh, thanked everybody that listened into the show that mightn't be on our social media now for the time that we have left are there any particular toys or age groups that you need or can you tell or boys or girls teenagers uh, stuff for teenage boys and girls are uh, we're we're a little bit short Uh, but uh, I'm uh, pretty okay with the younger kids and the things um, Actually, you know, you talk about teenage boys and girls. Maybe a voucher for a food, for, sorry, a voucher for a clothes shop or something like that. They love their style, don't they? Oh, they do, they do. Yeah. So tours, that, tours that we have a table quiz uh, followed by a raffle. People can come in, even if they can't come tours, and they can come into the Bayros and buy raffle tickets. We have some great prizes. Uh, we have vouchers for nearly every restaurant in Douglas and a few in the city. We have an overnight stay. We have uh, car services. Uh, and hampers from different chemists in the area. I love them, man. Love and then uh, my buddy Kieran Kingston uh, got a Cork jersey signed by the whole team of Cork Orland jersey and himself and I got a frame that we're going to auction that off and we've got a right team signed Celtic jersey as well that we're going to auction that off after the raffle. So if any business wants to drop in a raffle prize for the night they can also do that we into can the do prayer. That as well, yeah. Okay, and that's, um, that's, that's on Thursday. Thursday night at what, like 8 o'clock? Yeah, the table quiz starts at 8 o'clock, followed by the raffle will be about half nine. Are the tables booked out? Uh, We still have a few tables. 4291686? Yeah. Fantastic, Thursday night. We'll chat again then, maybe on Thursday, or perhaps on Friday after the raffle, see how things went, yeah? Perfect. Okay, kid, listen, good to catch up. Talk to you soon. Before I go, Neil, uh, if if, if people want to donate to Edel House, they can go online and uh, there's a link there where they can donate 
before Christmas or after Christmas. There's also you can sponsor a, a child and uh, you can sponsor different things. Uh, so just click on uh, Google Edel House and you'll see the, the links there for all of Well done, stuff. Brian. Well done. Chat at the end of the week. Have a great week. The final push is on, lads. You're going to need a long rest in the new year. You can be sure of that. <laughs> Cheers, Chef. Mind yourself. Uh, Take thanks care. Thanks very much, Neil. Have a good All day. the best. Bye. One final greeting. My mum's birthday is today. Her name is Lucy Hennessy and she's 87 years. She listened to you all of the time in Ballancolig. Uh, thanks, Neil. I knew uh, one of your form- one of your friends, Colm O'Connell, sadly, Colm passed away only a couple of weeks ago. Knew all the family well, including his brother, Brian, my friend. So lovely. I don't know I don't know who you are, but thank you for the text on behalf of your mam. So a very special happy birthday to Lucy Hennedy, Hennessy, 87 today. Lines will stay open at one 104 106 Text 0868 104 106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.